in school. All I knew was Martin Luther King. That's all I ever teach you in school about black people. Martin Luther King. That's my answer to everything. Martin Luther King. <laughs> what's the capital of Zaire? Martin Luther King. Uh, can you tell us the name of the woman that would not leave her seat on the bus? Ooh, that's hard. Are uh, you sure it was a woman? <laughs> oh, I got it. Martina Luther King. Shaking our heads at Target this morning. Oh, Lord. The story is going viral after somebody on TikTok pointed out some ridiculous, and I'm going to call it that, errors in one of their Black History Month items. Take a look. Like I said, these need to be pulled off the shelf. For starters, this is not Carter G. Woodson. This is W.B. Du Bois. Peep the stash. Peep the stash. They got the name wrong. This is not W.E.B. Du Bois. This is Booker T. Washington. Peep the little fancy bow tie. Peep the fancy little boy bow tie. Boy, that's just, come on now. There are at least three examples of completely mislabeled names. The woman who posted the video says she teaches U.S. history and immediately noticed those errors. A representative for Target told TMZ that they will no longer be selling this product in store or even online. Here's a, a lesson on how not to kick off Black History Month. Why haven't you learned anything? And that's another story you'll only see on Local 10 News about a growing school controversy. And tonight, parents at iPrep Academy are being asked to say okay before their children participate in Black History Month events. And Local 10's Hatzel live now in Miami with our exclusive tonight. Hatzel. So this mom tells us, Calvin, this is not the first time she has to sign a permission slip. In fact, months ago, she says she remembers having to sign a permission slip for her daughter to attend a book fair. Now there's a permission slip, she says, for her daughter to also attend African-American History Month activity. She says enough is enough. This has to stop. I was shocked. This mom thought she may have misunderstood the document. The permission form is asking parents if they want their kids to participate in class and school-wide presentations showcasing the achievements and recognizing the rich and diverse traditions, histories, and innumerable contributions of the black communities. This is a policy that's an extension of a new state board rule. School board member Steve Gallen says it all has to do with getting parental consent when individuals come on campus, a policy that was just enacted last year in November, an extension of the Parental Bill of Rights. We have to follow the law. We have to implement the rules that are adopted by the State Board of Education. But we cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater. And we have to square some uh, obligations we have to academic freedom. But Gallen is concerned about the unintended consequences this may have on children whose parents choose not to have them attend. It's a step too far. I mean, this is Black History Month. This is supposed to be a celebration. FIU professor Marvin Dunn, who's an expert in African-American history, says this will create a generation of people who are miseducated when it comes to black history. And I think when parents become involved and make that decision, keeping some kids out, some kids in, you have unequal learning. Once again, he says the governor's administration is interfering in the classroom and it's not appropriate and it's having a chilling effect. The intent of the DeSantis attack on education was to make schools more cautious to make teachers more cautious about what they taught. And it's working. It's not about banning books necessarily. It's about banning ideas. So the district emphasizes this has nothing to do with African-American History Month. In fact, they're telling us that, again, this has to do with outside presenters coming into campus. Tonight, we're also asking 
who opted out of this, we're still waiting on an answer. Nicole, Calvin? Okay, so Hansel, based on what you're telling us, any chance that this policy could change following your report tonight? Yes, so when we talk to the school board member, he says uh, the district has to do more. This is not enough. In fact, because of our reporting, because of this story, he's going to bring up the issue at this Wednesday's committee hearing. I watched a white riot in Portland, Oregon on television the other night. <laughs> In 2020, Oregon voters passed the most liberal drug law in the country. Instead of arresting users for possessing small amounts of drugs, police now give them a citation and point them toward treatment. The law also funneled more money into recovery. But more than three years later, the drug crisis in Oregon, like many other places battling the rise of fentanyl, has gotten worse. And that has prompted a fierce political debate in the state about whether the measure has been a success or a failure. Oregon Public Broadcasting's Conrad Wilson reports. On a gray November afternoon in downtown Portland, Officer Joey Yu is hunched over a city-issued mountain bike. The sidewalk is dotted with tiny scraps of tinfoil used for smoking fentanyl. Down the block, a man officers say is high on meth is raging about his stuff being stolen. Yeah, I do. Officer Yu scrawls on a thick pad of paper. Do you have any questions why I'm talking to you, why I'm giving you the citation? Yu is talking to a young man he stopped for using fentanyl in public. We're not using his name because he was in no condition to give us permission to do so. The man is staring down at the ground, not making eye contact with you. The little he says is hardly audible. Do you have any family here? The man doesn't appear to respond. Yu hands the man several slips of paper. One is a $100 citation. Another has the phone number to a state-funded hotline. If he calls and gets assessed for addiction, the fine and citation go away. Like I said, you don't have to you know, go into treatment, but they will give you information about how to get into treatment. That's all you have to do. Court records show the man never made the call. And that's typical. So far, police have handed out more than 7,000 citations. But as of December, only a few hundred people had called the hotline to get assessed for substance use disorder. This exchange, a citation for drug use instead of an arrest, is a direct result of Measure 110. Advocates argued the criminal justice system didn't effectively treat addiction. They also said it disproportionately harmed people of color. And the state expected the measure to reduce racial disparities in conviction rates. But back on the street, Officer Yu says handing out citations doesn't seem to actually make a dent in the problem. The same people that I give citation to yesterday, I see today doing the same thing. What's happening here on the streets of Portland has led to a lot of passionate testimony in the past several months in the state capitol, where lawmakers invited people to come weigh in. All right, thank you. I am going to open up an informational hearing of the Joint Interim Committee on Addiction and Community Safety Response. During hearings, some argued that taking away criminal penalties for drug use hasn't worked. Others worried about the safety of their employees and the health of their businesses. Lisa Schroeder owns Mother's Bistro and Bar in downtown Portland. The police occasionally come in and clean up a specific area with their superficial presence, and the drug market moves along to another corner. The quality of life for our citizenry, from the user to the general population, is suffering. But addiction doctors and criminal justice experts in Oregon say a lot happened between 2020 and now, besides Measure 110. The pandemic taxed the health care system. The fentanyl crisis got worse around the country. Homelessness grew. Dr. Andy Mendenhall is an addiction medicine physician and the CEO of Central City Concern, a social service organization in Portland that gets a small amount of money from Measure 110. 
He testified at a hearing and in an interview after said people are pointing at Measure 110 and saying it's the reason for Oregon's problems. When in reality, it is our decades long underbuilt system of behavioral health, substance use disorders, shelter and affordable housing care that are the primary drivers. And some treatment providers say if lawmakers recriminalize drugs, it will just take Oregon back to a different system that wasn't working. Arrest records impacts people that are looking for employment. It impacts their housing. Um, It perpetuates uh, a cycle of poverty. Shannon Jones Isidore runs a recovery program that specializes in working with African-American and veteran communities in Portland. A better solution is to dramatically increase our street services and outreach. There's a general agreement that whatever should happen next to Measure 110, Oregon made a radical change to its drug laws before the infrastructure was in place to really support it. But there are parts of this law that aren't being debated. It allocated hundreds of millions of dollars in cannabis tax revenue to fund new recovery programs. That expanded the state's treatment capacity, even though a recent study from state health officials said Oregon was years away from being able to treat everyone who needed it. This is our main residence, 16 beds. Joe Bazaghi helps run Recovery Works Northwest, which opened a new detox facility last fall. It's Measure 110 funded. The, The purchase, the retrofit, so the remodel, as well as supplying of this facility was was accomplished with support from Measure 110. There's a dining room, game area, and off to one side, a living room for recovery group meetings. Most of the people here are really sick, withdrawing from fentanyl. Yeah, I feel um, a lot better than I did yesterday, so... Aaliyah is one of them. NPR is just identifying her by her first name because she's still a patient in the detox facility. She's been here for five days. While we're talking, her boyfriend, who just completed his residential treatment, comes up to one of the windows. I wish I could come out. At least we can talk through a window. You look so good. His name is Trey Rubin. He recently moved to a sober house in Portland. I mean, I want to be successful and do things in my life, and that's definitely the first step, you know what I mean? It's just go to treatment and just get your life back. You know, you can't really do anything if you're not clean, you know? He says he's thinking about what he may do now that he's not using drugs. Like, I love, uh, like, dirt bikes and stuff like that and riding. (laughs) But um, I don't know exactly what I want to do yet, but um, maybe want to go to school to be an x-ray technician or something like that. Oregon has faced some criticism for how slow the expansion of treatment like this has been. But if anything, state lawmakers say they want to invest more in recovery programs. Oregon lawmakers start their new legislative session today. Democrats who control the legislature and the governor's office have indicated they're open to recriminalizing drugs, which could effectively end the most controversial piece of this legislative experiment. For NPR News, I'm Conrad Wilson in Portland. Today, a Houston attorney pleaded guilty to assaulting his pregnant wife. Mason Herring is accused of secretly drugging his wife's beverages multiple times to induce an abortion. This morning, he accepted a plea deal and was sentenced to 180 days in jail, but 10 years of probation. Today, we're hearing from the wife for the first time who spoke with our Michelle Choi, who shares her story. 
Yeah, Catherine Herring says after two agonizing years, she is breaking her silence. She told me that it was liberating to face her soon-to-be ex-husband in court today, where she also gave an impact statement. On Wednesday, 39-year-old Mason Herring, a lawyer and founder of Herring Law Firm here in Houston, pleaded guilty to injury to a child and assault of a pregnant person. Between March and April of 2022, his wife Catherine alleges her husband of 11 years tried to kill their unborn child with abortion-inducing drugs seven times. Catherine says as a result, her daughter, now one and a half years old, was born premature, has developmental delays, and attends therapy eight times a week. Incredibly hard, unspeakably difficult. We just take one day at a time. Catherine says this all started after Herring began having an affair and asked for a separation. She then found out she was pregnant with her third child, something she says he wasn't happy about. She says during spring break, he offered her a glass of cloudy water. Catherine says she didn't suspect anything until she became violently ill and had to go to the emergency room. After that, she says Herring continued to bring her beverages that were spiked with what she would eventually learn and lab results would confirm was misoprostol, a drug used to induce abortions. She says she didn't consume the drinks and kept it as evidence and turned it over to Houston police, as well as video recordings from hidden cameras she installed in their home where Herring was no longer living. One of those videos she said captured him in the kitchen slipping a powdered substance into her drink. Fast forward to today, Catherine took the stand where she told Herring his actions shattered their family. And while relieved he'll finally be punished, she says it's not enough. I do not believe that 180 days is justice for attempting to kill your child seven separate times. Adding to her disappointment, back when Herring was arrested, he was the first and only person in Harris County to be charged with felony assault to induce abortion. That charge was withdrawn today as part of the plea deal. That needs to be fixed. It needs to add jail time. Um, not be canceled out. Catherine now plans on advocating for other victims of domestic violence. I'm happy to do anything I can to ensure that no one else has to go through this. Catherine went on to say her fight for justice isn't over. There's currently a pending civil lawsuit. I'm getting in the elevator and these two high school white boys tried to get on with me and I just dove off. I said, y'all ain't killing me. I am scared of young white boys. If you white and under 21, I am running for the hill. What the hell is wrong with these white kids shooting up the school? After over 10 hours of deliberations, a verdict came down. We find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. Jennifer Crumbly found guilty on all four counts of involuntary manslaughter in what has now become a landmark ruling for an unprecedented case. We are still breaking down that jury's decision tonight. Thank you for joining us. I'm Pamela Osborne. I'm Kimberly Gill. Let's get you quickly caught up on how we got to this point. All told, the jury sat and listened through seven full days of testimony, during which the prosecution called 21 witnesses. The defense only called Crumbly herself to the stand. And then today, just after 1 p.m., the jury found her guilty on all charges. Sean Lay was in the courtroom as the verdict was read. Sean, what can you tell us about the feel inside the courtroom and what deliberations were like?
intense field deliberations taking yesterday and today. Had a feeling after lunch today we would hear one way or the other if they're going to continue into the afternoon or come back with a verdict. Came right back with a verdict. Now, juries do not have to speak to the media or publicly after any of these trials, but the foreperson of this jury did speak with us and she talked about the deciding factor in this case. It was very difficult. It wasn't an easy decision. Um, lives hung in the balance, and we, we took that very seriously. She was the jury four person who just found Jennifer Crumley responsible for the deaths of Madison Baldwin, Tate Meir, Justin Schilling, and Hannah St. Juliana. She does not want to identify herself, but was willing to give us a glimpse inside the jury room as the jury deliberated for a day and a half. The question to her, did members of the jury have to convince each other to come to its verdict? Um, I will say... Um, both sides were well represented. Oh, okay. Both sides likely meaning at the start of deliberations, one side was finding Crumley not guilty, the other guilty. But just after lunch today, the jury came back with its verdict. Each jury member asked if their finding was guilty, each saying yes. Jury seat number eight, was that and is that your verdict? Yes. What was the deciding factor in finding Crumbly guilty? The final image shown to the jury before they began deliberations. The thing that really hammered it home is that she was the last adult with the gun. And that's where I'll end my, my comment. Thank you. Back here live now, Prosecutor Karen McDonald did not speak after this landmark uh, decision by the jury, this long, uh, difficult trial, because there still remains a gag order in this case. James Crumley, the husband, goes on trial in a month from now. That gag order remains in effect. Rob Maloney has been all over this courts complex gathering reactions uh, to today's verdict. Rod, I understand you got a chance to speak with Justin Schilling's father. Yes, uh, Greg Schilling spoke with us today at length, as a matter of fact, and one of the things that he was deeply concerned about was Jennifer Crumbly's testimony. Now, a lot of the parents have been monitoring this, but he was physically here and he was listening, and he said listening to Jennifer Crumbly was particularly troubling. You'd like to think that as a human being in a situation that, that we're in, that, you know, you wouldn't have um, a level of respect and a level of... Uh, honesty about you to to project something positive in the situation and um, I didn't really uh, take anything or take much good out of that, that whole testimony. Greg Schilling carefully took in Jennifer Crumbly's explanation on the stand of what she did and why and her admission that she'd have done nothing differently hit him hard. I felt a, I felt a slap in my face and uh, it hurts, something like that hurts, because I would do a, a lot differently. As for the jury, whose roughly 12 hours of deliberations brought these verdicts. They were diligent with their decision. They know and they understand the gravity of the situation and they know the importance of, of this case and, um, and the fact that they came out with the verdict that they did. It shows that the people have spoken and the people are tired of the uncertainty of every day. And as he said all along, he thinks of his son Justin every day and spoke of him as he wrapped up his remarks. He loved life and he deserved to live it. And so he says now he will be watching closely the James Crumbly trial. He also thinks that there should be some 
problem or, or uh, some prosecution of Oxford school administrators who were involved with the meeting in this case. But he also said that that's really up to the prosecutor's office. He says he trusts the prosecutor's office to handle that in the way they see fit. Reporting live from Pontiac, Rod Maloney. Yeah. Okay, Rod, we appreciate it. And reaction is pouring in from across Metro Detroit and across the state. We spoke with Oakland County Sheriff Michael Bouchard. He says today's ruling is about accountability. What it says is if there's a lot of things that have happened and you saw the potential that this was going to go in a very bad direction, either with self-harm or harm to someone else, and you do nothing, not only that, you make it worse by buying a weapon for that child and leaving it unsecured, there's consequences. That, I think, is the message. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel also agreed with the verdict. She added that Michigan's new safe storage laws, which go into effect, effect next month, will hopefully keep another case like this from happening again. It won't be a matter of having to show gross negligence um, that a parent didn't properly secure a weapon. It's strict liability, meaning you have to secure that weapon when there are minors that reside in the household or that you know frequently visit the household. We'll have more reaction for you tonight at 11, but for now you can see a recap of this trial and how we got to today right now on ClickOnDetroit.com. There you can read moment-by-moment moment updates about what happened each day. You can also find deep dives into some of the notable moments from the trial at ClickOnDetroit.com. And since Jennifer Crumbly's trial is now over, attention now shifts to her husband's upcoming trial. James Crumbly also faces four counts of involuntary manslaughter, and he will have a separate trial in March. During Jennifer's trial, she testified that her husband was in charge of making sure the firearms were secure in their home. We'll see if that is touched on again in that trial. The trial will start with jury selection, which could take a few days. What the hell is wrong with these white kids? Tansia Lancaster team behind bars tonight. The 17-year-old is accused in hundreds of so-called swatting cases across the country. The feds saying he may be one of the most active and dangerous swatting suspect, in fact, in U.S. history. KCAL News reporter Joy Benedict spoke with neighbors in his hometown tonight. It's a quiet street in Lancaster, but what police say happened inside this home sent a ripple of terror across the nation. I'm going to commit a mass shooting in the name of Satan. It's called swatting. A fake call to 911 claiming to be an active shooter. It brings out a large response from law enforcement, and police say this teenager did it from his father's home on Antdale Avenue. I have an illegally modified full auto AR-15. The now 17-year-old is charged with three felonies in Seminole County, Florida, appearing before a judge charged as an adult on Wednesday. planning a bomb, explosive, or use of a weapon. All of this stemming from an incident in Sanford, Florida, back in May, when investigators say then 16-year-old Alan Fillion called 911, saying he was going to commit a shooting inside a mosque. But when police arrived, they found no evidence of a threat at all. And court documents say Fillion is a serial swatter, responsible for hundreds of swatting and bomb threat incidents throughout the United States, including high schools, historical black colleges, mosques, government buildings, even military bases, and the Pentagon. You are there now? Yeah. 
I'm inside my car. But police say he was actually here. Neighbors didn't want to speak on camera, but described Fillion as a polite kid who lived with his father. They say he's taking advanced classes, highly intelligent, and had dreams of going to Berkeley. They say he kept to himself, didn't appear to have many friends, but they never expected him to be caught up with anything like this. I'm walking in now. I'm going to kill everyone I see. Fillion is currently in a Florida jail being held without bond. His arraignment is scheduled for March. In Lancaster, I'm Joy Benedict, KCAL News. Let me say something that gets to the very crux of the matter, and this may be offensive for some to hear who are not on the side that we're on. White people, we have been the problem for 400 years. Say that again. Let me say it one more time for those of you who didn't hear me. White people, we have been the problem for 400 years! I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. When Melissa Hall, a black woman, a mother of four, and school volunteer, was subjected to a verbal racist attack, it left her stunned. Now, two and a half years later, the case has been resolved. But was anything learned from that outcome? It's the first in Colorado to test a new provision to the state's hate crime law. We're going to explore that further now with Systemic, CPR's podcast about justice and racial reckoning. Let's join host Joe Erickson. I was actually done monitoring the parking lot, and I was standing at the crosswalk fence to the parking lot area where the crossing guards helped the kids cross. Um, And I was talking to another mom. A woman pulls in kind of late, and I didn't really notice her at first. And finally, I realized that I'm hearing her say stuff. If this sounds familiar, you're right. You may remember Melissa Hall from a CPR podcast called Systemic. She's the black parent and school volunteer who is on the receiving end of some hateful racially motivated abuse at an elementary school in Colorado Springs in November 2021. Driving the truck that day, was Ashley Boise, a 31-year-old married white woman with two children. She jumped out of the truck and, without any provocation, attempted to hit another parent in the school parking lot. And I yelled, hey, you can't put your hands on people. She went on to say, um, I'll spit on you. I said, okay. I said, I understand that you're upset. I said, but there are lots of children here, and I can't have you using that kind of language around your children or other people's children. She said, I don't give a about anybody else's god kids except for my own. She gets in her car, and I said, I think at that point is when I told her, hey, I'm recording you. So I start recording her, and I said, hey, you're being recorded. She tries to run me over with her car as I'm getting the phone on, so I jumped back up over the curb. Other parents are just trying to get their kids and get the heck out of there. And it's at that point that she says to me, You're being recorded. I don't care. You're just mad because I'm fighting your Did you just call me a Melissa reported it to the police. This story is about what happened next and how a new provision to Colorado's hate crime statute was tested. Did this new amendment to the law deliver justice? 
And can a law really change Ashley Boise's view towards black folks? Being white in this country has gotten really hard. <laughs> I'm Joe Erickson. I've got to say, going back to this story was harder than I imagined. Suddenly, I was forced to relive a trauma I experienced when I was called the N-word. I still shudder thinking about it. I can never forget the way that word was used. The menace and the animosity, both in tone and action, led me to flee a situation because somebody hated the colour of my skin. Now I'm looking at Melissa's experience, and she did something I couldn't. She took a stand, and she did it by helping her abuser. In December 2021, Melissa went to the police. I just knew that she had the daughter in the same classroom as my child. But I knew immediately that, you know, I had to actively participate, actively contribute, and really try to figure out what was the best thing to do here. As for Ashley, her deepest regret was that her daughter lost a friend. Melissa was the mother of one of my daughter's friends at the time, who she unfortunately is no longer friends with. And I apologized to my daughter. I was like, baby, I'm so sorry that I might have cost you your, your friendship with your friend. I was like, I'm so sorry. That's not right for me as a mother to have done that to you. Colorado Springs Police Department sent an officer from the Victims Assistant Unit to visit Melissa and the school to discuss the charges and what to expect next. The school took measures to ban Ashley from entering the school premises, leaving the police to decide what they should charge Ashley. Eventually, they charged Ashley with disorderly conduct and harassment. And if she was found guilty of harassment, Ashley could face some jail time. If this sounds harsh, it's meant to be. I would hate for her to have to go to jail. I'm not a person who's for, like, incarcerating people, right? Like, what does that do to her on the back end with her children, with her life, with her having a job and all these other pieces? Like, I know that despite the levels of hate that she showed, I can continue to have that capacity to extend that grace and mercy. So Melissa went to bat for the other team. She pleaded with the courts to keep Ashley and her children together. Before I tell you what happened next with these two women, it's worth taking a look at this new amendment to the law that has made this case possible. And the best person to tell you is Democratic Representative Mike Wiseman, one of the co-sponsors of Colorado's Bias Motivated Crime Statute 2021. He saw a problem. I was just in a, a discussion convened by the Attorney General and Senator Fields at the Attorney General's office before the holiday break, we have big problems of under-reporting of bias-motivated crime. 
for some pretty complex reasons. Um, so for every crime that we know is happening, that has come to the attention of law enforcement, that is being handled in the criminal legal system, there's a lot more out there that is happening that is harming people that isn't even captured in the data. He noticed that bias-motivated crime statutes were more successful in convicting offenders of violent hate crimes and bias-motivated murders. But when it comes to bias-motivated misdemeanors, the courts couldn't quite get this law to work. So Wiseman needed to make some changes. The problem was some offenders were managing to beat uh, a, a criminal consequence by saying that, uh, you know, by arguing basically what we came to call mixed motives. Oh, I wasn't trying to beat up so-and-so because of his race. I just wanted to take his wallet or his laptop or something like that. Wiseman closed the loophole. So now, since the effective date of law in 2021, uh, if if somebody goes and beats somebody up and, and they yell epithets and there's evidence that it was was bias-motivated harassment or bias-motivated uh, other crime, again, based on the defined characteristics, race, color, religion, ancestry, national origin, disability, uh, or sexual orientation, even if there was another motive to steal property, uh, to take somebody's money, whatever, you're still going to face consequences for the bias-motivated uh, harassment or crime, and you should. Why does this matter? Well, as a defendant, you may want to face a Class 3 misdemeanor, which could be as little as a $50 fine and a few months in jail, rather than a bias-motivated crime, which is a Class 1 misdemeanor with heavier fines and potentially 364 days in jail. When Wiseman was amending the law, he was designing it to help victims like Melissa. Her case is one of the few to use the Colorado Bias Motivated Crime Statute in her harassment charge. Charging a person is one thing. Getting a conviction, actually, in this case, it should have been easy. After... Ashley failed to turn up in court in May 2022 and after her attorney filed a motion to quash failure to appear warrants, Ashley Boise and Melissa finally appeared in court in August 2022. What should have been a routine plea with either a trial or sentencing turned into a courtroom drama. Melissa remembers Ashley walking up to the stand, looking agitated and distracted that day. Though she was five foot seven in height, she seemed tiny and frail. The long sleeve top couldn't hide her tattoos on her arms and hands, and her long black hair looked like it had been pulled back hastily. You know, and her public defender was basically doing their job. You know, get your client under control. Listen, I think because of her responses and her behavior and her theatrics of crying in the courtroom and protesting, we had to, like, have a court recess and come back, like, an hour plus later. You know, that's taxing on you mentally. It's just exhausting. Despite all of this, Melissa stood up in court and asked the court 
not to send Ashley to jail, not to separate mother and child. My initial push was for her to get restorative justice because I felt like that would be a space and experience where maybe she could have some exposure um, and maybe learn, you know, because I don't know that we can change a racist, bigoted person. Um, I would hate for her to have to go to jail. Judge Sam Burney deferred the case. And in November 2022, Ashley pleaded guilty to disorderly conduct and harassment. The judge ordered Ashley to pay $270 in fines, write a letter of apology, and complete a course on diversity, equity, and inclusion. To make sure Ashley didn't repeat this behavior, Judge Bernie added a suspended sentence of 60 days in jail and 12 months unsupervised deferred sentence. So all Ashley had to do is write a letter, pay a fine, go on a course, and this whole matter is over. Okay, sounds simple. In August 2023, Ashley and Melissa were back in the same court. This time, Ashley reached out to Melissa via social media with a type of written apology. At first glance, the three-page apology seemed sincere. Ashley explained the circumstances of her actions, her sobriety since the parking lot incident, but one word was missing. Sorry. Even if it had been just, I'm so sorry, my behavior was absolutely unacceptable, um, what I did was wrong, um, you know, it could have just been three simple sentences. It's not the length and the amount of verbiage that you put in something. It's the sincerity. The judge agreed, and Ashley still hadn't paid her fines or even started her course. So it came down to one more chance for Ashley to complete the judge's orders, or she'll be facing the prospects of spending Christmas in jail. And this time, Melissa would not be able to intervene. I remember driving to Colorado Springs. All the music channels were playing Christmas songs. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. It's the 22nd of December. The radio host announced that there's only two more shopping days till Christmas as if we needed more reminders. I arrive at El Paso County Combined Court with only moments to spare. My bags were screened and I ran up the stairs to the second floor. Court was in session at 8.30. It's 8.32. I enter courtroom E. I saw Melissa sitting in the front row of seats. She's dressed in smart grey slacks and a crisp white shirt. It was the first time I'd seen Melissa 
with her natural afro hair, loose around her face, and drop into the middle of her back. She turns and looks at me as if to say, Ashley isn't here. I sit, waiting patiently. The courtroom is packed. For anyone who hasn't been in a courtroom, it isn't like the crime shows you see on TV, where the prosecutor and defendant battle it out. Well, that was not my experience. Most of the defense attorneys were in the corridors, hammering out plea deals. Then, one by one, defendants appeared before the judge with plea deals for the judge to either accept or deny. It's 9.03. Still, no Ashley. As a plea deal breaks down because they need a translator, Ashley arrives. We sit together. She seems stressed. I was nervous as hell. <laughs> I was nervous because I ran out of gas and I was late. But I was also nervous because I, even though I got everything done, I was scared that I was going to be in jail for Christmas. So, like, and I have two kids, so that was not not what I wanted at all. <laughs> Ashley was called to the stand. Her attorney said she had completed all the judge's orders and handed over the letter of apology to the judge. The judge asked Ashley to tell her about what she'd learnt on this course. Ashley talked about the statistics and the barriers that black folks faced. She also said that she had learnt of white privilege. The judge told Melissa to stand. She acknowledged Melissa's grace in this case and issued a strong warning to Ashley not to reoffend. It took less than five minutes to close this case. After it was all over, I spoke to Ashley in a noisy corridor filled with attorneys and clients talking. Can you read out a little bit about the, the apology? Yes, um, I had written two technically. This new one that I had turned into the judge, it reads, Dear Melissa, as I sit down to write this, I'm filled with mixed emotions. Reflecting on the past can be both sobering and enlightening. In 2021, I found myself in a place that was far removed from where I am today. It was a time marked by struggles with addiction, compounded by the fact that my husband, too, was battling similar challenges and eventually ended up in prison. Amidst this turmoil, I made choices I deeply regret, and, the and in that tumultuous period, I directed hurtful words towards you. I can't express how sorry I am for the pain that I caused you during that time. When somebody gets angry, we naturally reach for those words. You went for the N-word. Yeah, that was the very last thing I said as I was pulling away, like pulling my car and like leaving. That was the very last thing I said to her. So that's kind of where that is. Like everyone I've told this story, they look at me, they're like, Ashley, you don't talk like that. I'm like, I know, I know. And I even told like my video game friends, they're like, Ashley, you don't do that. I'm like, I know. <laughs> 
Well, and unfortunately that day I had just gotten denied to visit my husband in prison. So on top of that emotion, it just did not go well. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have been the one to pick up my daughter that day. <laughs> I was not in a good mental state. The training that you did, you, you talked about that um, you felt that you learned um, about being um, white, you learned about white privilege. Which, and I make a joke all the time, I'm like, I don't necessarily experience white privilege. I make a joke, I was like, I experience pretty, pretty privilege, <laughs> because that's how I feel like I've gotten a lot of things that I want in life by being pretty and smiling at some dumb guy. <laughs> so that's like the privilege I personally have learned to live with. When I pushed her on the issue of white privilege, being a societal privilege that benefits white folks, she said this. And I can definitely see that. However, I do think that with with everything going on in our country that they are trying to make examples of the white men um, to show like we're not prejudiced like the white guys are going to do just as much time as the black guys and I say that because my husband's white and a bunch of uh, my friends who are white have been given longer jail sentences than they probably would have been if we were a few years earlier and I think that it's not fair and being white in this country has gotten really hard. <laughs> I came away thinking, did anything change? The judge went to a lot of trouble to add an education component to sentencing. I could see that the judge wanted Ashley to have a greater understanding of what it's like to be black and help eradicate this type of harassment. I'm not sure we moved the needle. As for Melissa, was it worth the two years it took to close this case? I feel like it was bigger than me. You know, my understanding is she's the first person in the state of Colorado to be charged with that, that hate crime law, that... Um, the way that it's laid out, you know, the new criminal coding or whatever that they had for this. And so for me, it was really <clears throat> kind of thinking about like how many hundreds, thousands of people of color for, you know, hundreds of years have those experiences felt that fear, you know, um, experienced other things in addition to that and never had the opportunity to ever see any potential kind of justice, just, you know, I mean, it really, it really made me really think, you know, you know, like it is, it is a horrendous thing that happened uh, more times than we'll ever know. And those people, our ancestors, our family members never lived, you know, a lot of them to see the day. So I just felt like I had a responsibility to to be present to see it through i had you know to to think about people who fought for for you know racial equality and all of these pieces some of those people didn't even live to see this so i i, I guess again and just in a short sense it was bigger than just that even though the vast majority of grandparent caregiving takes place outside of the child welfare system 
the child welfare system is always present. So even if they're not entangled, the fear, the state-sponsored coercion that black families live in, that my grandchild could end up in that system at any moment. At any moment. And the state knows this. The primary safety net for the state are grandparents. So on the one hand, highly stigmatized, don't want to be really giving resources, but on the other hand, absolutely exploiting and using. Your mother can't have you, but your grandmother can. More than 17,000 grandparents are raising their grandchildren in Philadelphia. Although the reasons vary, a recent survey finds more grandparents say substance abuse is the reason why they became caregivers. WHYY's Vicki Diaz-Camacho has more on what these families face and what a local nonprofit called Connectedly is doing to help. My favorite photo is the one that's far over here in the corner that has all four of us together. Inside her row home in Northeast Philly, Rolina Bonilla points at a smattering of baby pictures hung on her walls. Most are of her children and the four grandchildren she is raising. The oldest is Roman. He's 11 now. And then we have Liliani, who is eight, and the two twin boys, Joseph and Mason, who were four years old. In the past seven years, the former Head Start educator and her daughter became their caregivers. Legally, that is known as kinship care. Her son is in recovery for substance abuse. The kid's mom? She's back out there again under her addiction. Bonilla says she didn't think twice about taking the kids in. She says, That child is your family. She is among the 30% of grandparents in Philly who are caregivers to their grandchildren. Most times, it happens suddenly. This contributes to increased stress and a sense of isolation. Your life is upended and changed, and you're involved in different activities than your peers. That's Jaya Lent, Deputy Executive Director of Generations United, a national nonprofit that works to expand programs and inform policies to support intergenerational families, such as grandfamilies. She said the trauma of this new life can contribute to feelings of isolation and worsen a caregiver's mental health. Another challenge is navigating confusing guidelines that were originally drafted for foster parents. That is why improving support, whether through federal policies or local programming, is so important. Last year, federal policy on foster care guidelines were updated. The change means caregivers like Bonilla can receive financial support for caring for their grandchildren. Here's Shartan Nelson, executive director of Grand Central Kinship Care Resource Center in Philadelphia. You have to really begin to look at it in a hold sense that whatever you do for grandmom, it has to somehow trickle down to help the children. Research shows that peer support groups are the most effective at building community and activating networks, but those are often the most underfunded. Enter Philly-based nonprofit Connectedly, which operated as SOAN for 40 years, but last month changed its name. It responded to grandparent needs, expanding new programs thanks to a grant by the William Penn Foundation. Through their Grand Family Resource Center, they aim to help local grandparents forge stronger relationships to help one another. To Bonilla, They have been going out and beyond. They're like a, a spider with a big web of all kinds of resources. With their help, she felt supported, and her grandkids learned that there are others with families like theirs. She wants other grandfamilies to get that chance. Seek the help. It's not because you can't do it. It's because 
every resource that you can get is going to benefit you physically, mentally, emotionally, and then it's going to help your children do what they need to do. On February 10th, Connectedly is hosting its first event of the year at the Lillian Marrero Library from 1 to 2.30 p.m. Vicky Diaz Camacho, WHYY News. I thought I asked for an African-American to replace Terry. You requested an Afro-American? African-American. Jerry, you know I did. I put it in writing. I didn't see it. You see it? If you don't like her, you send her back. Yeah, you tell her you didn't like her performance because she was white. What? That's not the point. Flipper, she's been here for five minutes. Give her a chance. This sounds dangerously like reverse discrimination to me. All new here at 530 Denver Public Schools now facing federal civil rights investigations. These are from the Education Department's Office of Civil Rights, and they allege that DPS uses race in making some decisions, and it violates the U.S. Constitution. Matt Morrow joining us now with that new information. Matt. Erica, specifically, the complaints that sparked these investigations allege that Denver Public Schools discriminates against students and others who are white. The group that filed them is called the Mountain States Legal Foundation, a conservative nonprofit that's based in Lakewood. The Civil Rights Office has now opened two investigations into these complaints, as first reported by the Denver Gazette and confirmed by Fox 31. The complaints being investigated say DPS discriminated against students and others in two specific scenarios. The first is when the district created a committee to review disciplinary procedures. Mountain States Legal says DPS chose people to serve on the committee based on their race. The complaint cites a text message from a former board member who that basically says the district wants to make the committee match its student body where about 75 percent are students of color. The other complaint says DPS uses students' race to decide who can be part of an advanced math program for fourth graders. The complaint says the threshold for students of color is lower than for students who are white. DPS is obsessed with race uh, and they're obsessed with skin color and they just can't help themselves, it looks like. But our hope is that OCR, uh, the Office for Civil Rights, will come in and say, you can't act like this. You have a duty to abide by federal civil rights laws just like everyone else. Denver Public Schools did not want to talk on camera about the complaints today and the investigations, but sent a statement that reads, and I quote, Denver Public Schools operates under Department of Justice guidance in regard to equity work. The DOJ issued guidance to guide equity work in public schools, and everything we do in Denver Public Schools is aligned with that Department of Justice guidance. These complaints, among others, were filed last year, and the investigation was opened just last week. It typically takes about six months for the Office of Civil Rights to complete them. You know when I work, I ain't your slave, right? You know I ain't shucking and jobbing and high-fiving. You know this ain't back in the days, right? tell how to way to kill Freddie Gray, right? Staying on top of breaking news surrounding a split verdict in the Mosby trial. Let's go back live to Mike Helgren outside the federal courthouse in Greenbelt. Mike, break down this one count that the jury convicted her on. It's actually her third now uh, in two trials. That's right, Rick and Nikki. And first, I want to say we're watching the door closely because we hear Ms. Mosby is going to come out shortly. We're told that she won't be making any comment. Now, this guilty verdict related to one count of mortgage fraud for her Longboat Key, Florida condominium. And jurors felt that she lied about a gift letter that she said her ex-husband, uh, Nick Mosby, gave her $5,000 to help close on the house. But prosecutors tracked that money, and they say it actually came from Marilyn Mosby 
Navy herself. Now, this carries a maximum of 30 years in prison. It is highly unlikely she will get that kind of sentence. We still have to go through sentencing in this case. That will happen at a later date. I'm looking inside. It appears perhaps Mosby has supporters gathered around her. Again, we're waiting for her to come out. Uh, the perjury sentencing, remember that was the conviction back in November, that won't happen until after uh, this trial. So well, we still have sentencing to go for the one count that she was found guilty of, a mortgage fraud just a few moments ago, and the perjury count in this case. Mosby served two terms as Baltimore City State's attorney. As we've told you throughout uh, recent weeks, uh, you know, we've followed every development in this case, and Mosby herself took the witness stand. She made that decision to appeal personally to jurors. She said that she um, had made a mistake in not testifying in her last trial, and she wanted to appeal. Okay, we see supporters coming out. Let's see if Ms. Mosby has anything to say. We're told she isn't going to make a comment. Here are some of the supporters of Ms. Marilyn Mosby leaving court right now. Ms. Mosby, can you say anything? Any comments? No comment. No comment. No comment. No comment. No comment. Leave alone. Casey Marilyn Mosby has a waiting SUV. She is going into her SUV to shouts of no comment. No Marilyn Mosby, no comment as she leaves court. She appeared devastated when she was in the courtroom. She has not made any public comments throughout this trial. Marilyn Mosby into her Chevy Suburban with her supporters gathered around. And uh, I don't know if anybody has anything to say. We love Marilyn. You're hearing those chants. We love Marilyn. Do you have anything to say? We love Marilyn. Yes. We know what this trial is all about. It's about going after the FOP and the killer cops in America. She stood up for us, and she was tried for doing the right thing for doing her job. This is what we get in America. Thank you very much. This is, any comment, Mr. Wyda? Nope. That's uh, Marilyn Mosby's federal public defender. No comment from him at this point either. Jim Wyda, and again, he has been at the center of both of these trials uh, after she qualified to have a federal public defender and uh, changed her legal team. Again, Jim Wyda, no comment upon leaving court tonight. Okay, Marilyn Mosby is already out of here. Uh, I don't know if anyone else. Any other supporters of Ms. Mosby have anything to say? We love Marilyn. Do you love Marilyn? Yeah, we love Marilyn. Did you get a chance to talk to her? How's she doing? Thanks, sir. All right. All right, again, stay with us. It's fluid here. The breaking news situation, uh, Marilyn Mosby just found guilty of one count of mortgage fraud here at the federal courthouse in Greenbelt. I haven't heard anything from any of the uh, jurors. In the last trial, jurors did not want to speak, so we're still sorting this out. But again, this stems from the gift letter, the $5,000 she said her husband, her ex-husband, the Baltimore City Council president, gifted to her to help her close on this Florida 
condo. Jurors believed that was a lie, and now she faces up to 30 years in prison for that. Reporting live in Greenbelt, Mike Helgren, WJZ. And Mike, right, Mike, our photographers with phenomenal coverage, Ex Marilyn Mosby leaving the courthouse. Absolutely. You can tell emotions are high. People are divided on the outcome of this trial. And convicted three counts now to total of two trials. As Mike said, a lot to play out here in the coming months ahead. Potential appeals, obviously sentencing as well. Uh, but we're going to have much more on this coming up at 6 o'clock tonight. Don't meet many Marines these days. Everybody joins the Navy. Late last year, the Navy launched an investigation into a San Diego SEAL accused of having ties with extremists. Military reporter Andrew Dyer has more on what the SEAL is accused of and the latest in their investigation. It's a, probably the, one of the best views in the whole place is right up on top of the hill. Judy Bailey Savage drives her side-by-side -side ATV along the fence of her ranch in Temecula. There's Big Bear over there. That's the other range. There's Lake Skinner. Atop a hill overlooking Temecula's wine country, Savage points out the expanse of Savage Ranch. The Savage Ranch goes from back here all the way up past there and the lot in front of it. So it's fairly large. She says because the ranch serves as a refuge for queer people, she's been threatened. In the spring of 2023, the Temecula Valley School Board rejected the state social studies curriculum over its material covering gay rights. The moves mobilized LGBTQ activists as well as those on the far right. Among those, active duty Navy SEAL Bryce Henson, who began traveling up and down Southern California speaking at school boards and city councils against critical race theory and LGBTQ issues. Henson often attended attended rallies and meetings alongside members of the Proud Boys and other extremist groups. In November, the Navy launched an investigation into him. But Savage says she told the Navy about Henson months earlier, after he allegedly threatened her during a late-night phone call. I asked him, why are you stalking me? Why are you calling me, stalking me, after he came unhinged like the second time? And he goes, well, I've already surveilled your property. Savage isn't the only activist who says Henson's threatened them. Last month, Henson sent a video of himself in his Navy uniform shooting guns to an Instagram account called the Chardy B. The owner of the account says she took it as a threat and spoke to us on condition of anonymity. It's scary having somebody send you threatening messages when they've been trained by the U.S. military to be a killing machine. It felt very threatening. Um, it's To me, it's clearly threatening. He said, share with your friends was his message with it. Um, and he had sent me other messages before saying, show your face. Bishop Garrison is a senior fellow with the National Security Institute at George Mason Law School. He led the Pentagon's working group that helped craft new rules on extremism in the military. While he didn't comment specifically on Henson, he says it's important for the Pentagon to investigate allegations of extremism among the ranks. It, it, this activity has a, a direct outsized impact. Not only can you uh, can you deteriorate unit cohesion, not only can you disrupt the good order and discipline of units, people get hurt. He says policy on extremist behavior is written broadly. For more to be done, other action is needed. What we need is for um, elected officials, uh, for uh, particularly uh, members of Congress, uh, to stand up and, and make some uh, very specific uh, laws and rules around what our expectations of uh, this type of behavior really truly should be. Back at Savage Ranch, another Temecula activist, Pastor Rachel Dennis, says Henson and his thousands of followers have people in the LGBTQ community scared. Because we see that extremism 
and the language on his Instagram, which can then produce the violence in, in some people, you know. And so sometimes, you know, we're sitting out here scared, honestly. In an emailed statement, Henson didn't comment on the allegations. Instead, he writes that he's a father who's being smeared. The Navy classifies Henson's investigation as administrative and says it won't comment on any action it takes. A Navy official with knowledge of the case says the investigation into the SEAL found he didn't violate the Pentagon's extremism rules, but did find he'd engaged in threatening behavior. The official says Henson could receive minor punishment, but could also face more serious repercussions, such as being kicked out of the SEALs or the Navy altogether. Andrew Dyer, KPBS News. The Turner Diaries sold over half a million copies. Who do you think is buying it? Eric Rudolph, the Olympic bomber, Wade Page, who shut up the Sea Temple, Larry Ford, developing typhoid and cholera, William Carr with the cyanide bomb, anthrax, ricin, botulism, C4, IEDs. I could go on like this for hours, and all of them are white supremacists. Extremism experts are deeply alarmed about the words that some politicians are using when talking about migrants and the southern border. They say last week's anti-immigrant truck convoys and rallies showed how language that originated with extremists has made it to the heart of the Republican Party. NPR's domestic extremism correspondent Odette Youssef has been looking into this. Hey, Odette. Hey, Ari. Let's start with those border convoys and rallies. What happened? Right. So you'll remember, Ari, that um, Texas Governor Greg Abbott is in a kind of standoff with the Biden administration where he's trying to control access to a part of the border. So these convoys were um, to support him and to draw further attention to the migrant situation at the border. Um, These activists were calling themselves God's Army, and they planned truck routes to end in California, Arizona and Texas. They rallied on Saturday in those locations, and by all accounts, it was a pretty small turnout. Um, But what's notable, Ari, is who showed up. Uh, In attendance, we had some Proud Boys, uh, some members of white nationalist fight clubs, and groups that have engaged in illegal border vigilantism. And this is a component of the far right, Ari, that has mostly stayed away from large gatherings since January 6th. So these groups have been pretty quiet for a few years, and now they're resurfacing. Why now and why for this issue? Well, um, extremists are opportunists. Um, You know, they have a long history of anti-immigrant conspiracy theories. So now that some GOP officials are framing, you know, what should be a policy dispute about immigration in a way that hate movements have long claimed, you know, they're there for it. Um, You know, specifically this kind of language that um, echoes to a longstanding conspiracy theory called the Great Replacement. Um, This is a narrative that posits without basis that a kind of shadowy elite is deliberately bringing in immigrants to replace white people or to drown out Republican voters. You know, and those supposed puppet masters are sometimes Jews, uh, sometimes they're Democrats, allegedly, you know, behind this conspiracy. You know, regardless of the details, Ari, what we've been seeing in recent years is that even elected Republicans have come to embrace some version of this narrative, you know, even House Speaker Mike Johnson. And we're seeing terms like invasion or invaders used to describe immigrants. And can you trace this dehumanizing language to events in the real world that have grown out of it? 
Yes. Um, you know, the great replacement conspiracy theory has inspired some really terrible acts of violence and not just against immigrants, but against all kinds of Americans. Um, here's Heidi Byrick. She's with the Global Project Against Hate and Extremism. This is the idea that directly influenced the Pittsburgh Tree of Life synagogue shooter, the El Paso Walmart shooter, the Buffalo supermarket shooter. It is the font of terrorism around the world. And interestingly, Ari, you know, in recent months, um, some extremist groups have very explicitly recruited and organized their members to commit violence to target migrants because they sense that the environment right now is more permissive. And in fact, earlier this week, the FBI arrested a Tennessee man who they claim was planning to kill migrants at the border. This is an election year and GOP frontrunner Donald Trump has often encouraged fringe groups are we going to see extremist elements show up more consistently in alliance with the Republican Party? You know, we're not hearing loud voices right now within the GOP um, disavowing this kind of language or these narratives that originated with extremists. Um, so, you know, that's often interpreted, Ari, in extremist circles as an invitation. NPR's Odette Youssef, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You see us saying there's no profiling, but it is. It is. We're being hunted every day. It's a silent war against African-American people as a whole. The hunt is on. And you're the prey. There's outrage in Kansas City after police officers were captured on video beating a black woman to the ground and calling her an animal. We want to warn you, the video you're about to watch is disturbing. Yep. Yep. Just turn it over. Turn it over. This all happened outside a bar in downtown Kansas City. The police department says it's investigating, but community activists are demanding the officers be held accountable. NBC's Valerie Castro is following this story for us. So, Valerie, what do we know about just what happened here and how that woman is doing now? Zinkley, we spoke to Molly Pons, and her niece is the woman that you see in the video, 25-year-old Dacian Pons. She says this started over a disputed bar tab between business staff and her niece. It was total of less than $50. According to Kansas City Police, they got involved after bar security detained Dacian. And what happened next is what you see in that cell phone video. This was her aunt's reaction to seeing that video. Take a listen to what she said. Disbelief that... In 2024, our community police officers are calling a young Black woman an animal and saying that we're going to treat you like one, loudly and boldly amongst everyone. The excessiveness that was used, the brutalization that was encompassed in that situation is just utterly disbelieving. Molly says right now, physically, her niece is recovering from a concussion and a swollen eye. You can see that there in that photo. Psychologically, she says she is still dealing with the trauma of what happened to her Zinkwe. Yeah, I can only imagine. How is the Kansas City Police Department responding? So police say Pons was arrested and given a summons for assault on a law enforcement officer, disorderly conduct and theft. The department says in a statement, anytime an officer is assaulted, injured or responds to resistance, the entirety of those events get reviewed by supervisors. The department has not released an official incident report yet, a police report. They say that could take up to 20 days. It has to be approved before it's released. Black community leaders say this kind of behavior is part of a systemic pattern within the Kansas City. Police Department. They say they are calling for both the officers and the department to be held accountable. Thank you. Valerie Castro, we know you'll stay on this one. Thank you. That if you want uh, ultimate expression 
of white supremacy and the white supremacist mentality, and you want to put it in the form of one person that I would name, and that's something I very seldom do, it would be Jeffrey Dahmer. Hmm. He's the ultimate expression of white supremacy. Everything that he was doing, working in a chocolate factory, the whole nine yards, and storing black males' bodies in canisters of lye and alcohol and whatnot, and got them in the refrigerator. And the ultimate expression, Roman Empire. Black death associated, black, uh, 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 anti-sex with non-white people associated ultimately with death as being the ultimate. Gather them up, befriend them to the extent that you're saying that, hey, I'm going to take you, a black male, and make you ultimately effeminate and then kill you. Mm. First chance I get. And he ate them too, didn't he? Wasn't that his thing? Yes, and eat the bodies, eat mm. the body parts. Got them, got them in the, re- got the body parts uh, in wrappers in the refrigerator. Mm. And got other body parts. I mean, he didn't know what to do with. I mean, because he got so many, and got them in big drums uh, full of acid and whatnot. Keep them right there. Not somewhere way out in the woods somewhere. Keep them right there in our apartment. Frozen femurs in the freezer. Jeffrey Dumb. Dumb. Also tonight, new and shocking details about a man's dismembered body found stuffed in a refrigerator in Brooklyn, including how cops solved the case and just how long that body had been there. Eyewitness News reporter Lucy Yang with the new details. Almost two years That's how long officials say human body parts have been chilling inside a refrigerator here in Flatbush, Brooklyn. The victim, 40-year-old Kashin Geltzer. Authorities believe he had been crashing at an apartment on Nostrand Avenue, paying his portion of the rent with drugs. When he came up short, officials report the tenant of the third-floor apartment killed him, chopped him up, then stuffed all the body parts, including the head, in the freezer and refrigerator, taping the doors shut. For almost two years, the crime scene went unnoticed. Gelter's mother reported him missing shortly after the murder, but it wasn't until last month when police finally conducted a wellness check in the apartment and made the dark discovery. They arrested a woman living there, 45-year-old Heather Steins. Detectives then tracked down her boyfriend, 45-year-old Nicholas McGee, in a prison in Virginia and say he confessed to the gruesome murder and cold cover-up. We're told McGee has a long list of priors for property and identity theft. Now he's looking at murder charges and awaiting extradition to New York City. Nobody will be missed. I 
don't think it is uh, 50 years of hip-hop. We don't have to do our celebration of Negro entertainers, but man. Nobody. You can say that for any Negro male. Just insert the name. Tamir Rice. Eric Garner. Michael Brown Jr. Just insert the name. Nobody who will be missed. Stephen Lawrence, you can make it. You get nobody who will be missed. Mark Duggan, remember that one, 2011. Nobody who will be missed. Probably won't even remember your name. Kashin Gelzer, huh? Who? Huh? Nobody who will be missed. Maybe we make jokes about how you died. Compensatory call in Gus T, worthless Negro from Virginia. Same for me. They find my head and, and hands, fingers stuffed in the deep freezer next to a butterball turkey. Three years. Well, we ain't heard no cow. Dang, they done hacked Gus and put him in the freezer. Dang. Nobody who'll be missed. Weekly compensatory call in today's date, Saturday, February 10, 2024. So I have been told, I'm not mocking Kaushin Gelzer. It was the way his death has been reported that right there when the reporter, this is New York City, Brooklyn, she says, it's been nearly two years. Kaushin Gelzer remains been chilling in the freezer I could have put the laugh track in on that one too then maybe hey pardon the pun my bad I didn't mean to say it that way remains been I didn't mean to say he been chilling I didn't mean to say it that way but man it's been so tacky the whole way that this case has been reported most of the lead is child molester stuffed in freezer convicted crack peddler stuffed in the freezer what I say about uh, that white boy they mention every time we got to talk Matthew Shepard every time we try to start say well there's white victims too he's a victim of a hate crime no 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 drug deal gone bad that's the way they reported a drug deal gone bad you know niggers eh, eh. chilling Maybe she tried a few of them out. She said, man, they, they stuffed they stuffed his head in the freezer. That's a cold way to die. Said, Ooh, how cold is it? Ice cold. Ooh. Nobody will be missed. Number to dial, 605-313-5164. Decode 564-9. Four five six four nine four. Man, I'm messing up the code. Five six four nine four three one. There we go. Five six four nine four three one. Anywho, uh, Star Six One, if you are participating, invest. If you think the program is constructive, hit the blog racism-notes.blogspot.com. Racism-notes.blogspot.com. PayPal button in the top right corner. You'll see directly 
beneath the PayPal button. Links for Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal. Much obliged for all the folks who have supported, kept us on the air for 15 years. You can also share the program with other folks, hopefully, if you think it would benefit non-white people, victims of racism, to get a better understanding of what racism, white supremacy is, how it works. Let us see. Let me make sure I give out the code just in case I like I didn't get it correct. Still, 605-313-5164 number, and then the code 564-94-564-943 pound. Struggling. 564-943 pound. There we go. Now, a few things before we get to folks who uh, dialed in. Uh, one, I pointed out at the beginning of 2022, even double, I pointed this out the day we had Aya Gruber as a guest on the program, and she talked about how white feminists, their push for more punitive action with regards to domestic violence has resulted in lots of non-white people, both black males and black females spending time in greater confinement. That was what we talked about beginning of 2022 with Aya Gruber, but right here in Seattle, Washington, beginning of 2022, they had a listing 20 flipping books, 20, almost two dozen. All of them black females, not one. I think they even had some transgender black females, but not one by a black male. I pointed this out. The people who put this together, of course, usual suspects, white women laughed in my face, refused to change it. I ended up talking to the director about this and it's in the archives. They had a meeting. I called them out in public where they apologized. Institutional black misandry, institutional white supremacy, racism. I don't even know what they nonsense they have up this month. I don't go to Seattle public library. That was kind of the land. I told them that right there. You're letting me know Negro male. You are not welcome at Seattle public library. Now get on out of here. No problem. Now, uh, this happened again. I had seen this before. I took a photo of it. I posted, I posted regularly on line, social media, what have you. I'd seen this before where there was a display for black history month at a public library. Our tax dollars, presumably even the black males who were in prison, making license plates and furniture and such, even they contribute to that to a degree, put a display up and it's not, it won't just be one book. It'll be a bunch of them. Dozens where, Hey, even if it's, we want to focus on black female writers and I love Toni Morrison and I love Angie Thomas. The hate you give has got to be number one. Okay, fine, 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 fine. You can't find one book. Because I mean, that would, if they'd have just been one book, I wouldn't have said anything. I was like, eh, eh, Negro May, raping, cry. okay, okay, okay. Not one this week. Black History Month 2024, which I thought started with Carter G. Woodson. Damn him too. Okay. Black History Month 2024, New Orleans Public Radio. They come out with their suggestions. Negro History Month. What should you read? Well, we got six offerings to get you off to a good start to learn about Negro History Month. Okay. They get five people to recommend six books. 
four black females. Now, once again, hey, I wouldn't have said anything if you just got one black. They don't have no black dudes in New Orleans who might want to read or write. I thought Irie said that they had the reading comprehension program try to get up literacy rates. Are we not trying to target black boys? We don't want black boys to read. Okay, okay. Four black females. A white woman. Let me say it again. Four black females and a white woman picked the six books. How does that math even make sense? Everybody picked one book except one of the black females got to pick two books and give me the double whammy of black male privilege. Guess how many books they put they selected that were actually written by a black male. I'm gonna do the black male privilege jig. Woot 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 woo black male privilege woot institute matter of fact we'll do it this way. You point me the exhibit for Black History Month anytime in your flipping life where black females are excluded. The only people that they show for Black History Month are black dudes. Where's that exhibit? They have speakers and such come here for Black History Month. They're not black males. Black male privilege. Woo, woo, woo. Well, Kashin Gell, I guess we should be happy because at least our head didn't get stuffed in the freezer. So, I mean, eh. Eh. blackmail privilege. They'll make that a they'll make that a jig. So we'll be good at it. We can coordinate and do it tough for Juneteenth. Right. Blackmail privilege jig. Anyway, if you are going to have children and man, I pity you if you should have a Negro boy. I pray for you Uh, but maybe do the work in advance if you don't want them to be a car thief drug dealer maybe before they get here get books that are written by black males doesn't seem like they're going to give you a lot of help if you Yes, black female books. That's great. I love Toni Morrison and Dr. Maya Angelou and Isabel Wilkerson's first book, Warmth of Other Sons. Yes, yes, that's great. But dang, don't black dudes write constructive But We didn't, Malcolm X, we don't, eh, eh. Neely Fuller Jr., eh. The Man Not, eh. Delectable Negro. Ah, ah, ah. Black male privilege. Okay. Next, the speaking of authors, I have been pondering and for some time the late Pamela Evans Harris still missed author, black female author of many, many books with us many, many times shameless uh, investor in the program and promoted the context of white supremacy and Uh, shared what I say, share the program with other victims of racism. She did that all the time. Greatly missed by myself and uh, many, many others. Uh, We read uh, Black Love is, that's not the one we read. We read, or we did, we read Black Love is a Revolutionary Act uh, in the book club way back 2018, Ancient History. I have been thinking for some time, what's that phrase from The Matrix, another oldie but goodie, uh, where she says, 
uh, what? Or this will really bake your noodle. So if you had to do it all over again, we were starting right now, 2024, had never heard of Pamela Evans Harris, any of her books. We were starting right now. If you found someone plopped, hey, Gussie, uh, Black Love is a Revolutionary Act. You should have the author on the program. This Pam, you know, person co-wrote the book and boom, boom, boom. You should get on the program. If you plop that book in my lap right now. The white guest only policy would be, you know, one obstacle. Maybe we could make an exception. Man, oh man. It would be nigh on impossible for her to be a guest on the program now. Impossible. Like if I particularly, once I start reading that book that is in the archives, it would be the list of reasons for why I would be saying, oh, there's no way. The name calling of other black people, particularly black males. The inaccuracies in the book in total, sounding like the Black History Month people misidentifying Carter G. Woodson, and then the inaccuracies with Neely Fuller Jr. Like, oh, oh, oh. That would be the backbreaker. Now, those other two would be big. Name call, that would be big. Like, up, up, up. I'm already not feeling like, oh, oh, oh. I got to be called names and all of this and blah, 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 and all the rest of it. And then it's not accurate. And then you're misquoting Mr. F- oh. There is no way and or it would sound so radically different like oh man I would be looking even with the side eye like WTH what is it in fact have you read Neely in fact we would have started with that because that's in the archives anyway where Pam had acknowledged I haven't read Neely Fuller Jr.'s book that alone I would have wigged out you are admitting you did not read Fuller's work and then are misquoting him here oh my put this in the trash sit down read and then be accurate because that's what Fuller talks about be accurate when we write the book so that people are not being confused and oh 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 showcase blacks that's in the book Fuller never said that he never said that he never said that showcase blacks oh my anyway that has been thinking about that I did say it's 15 years our anniversary man time right and exact because there is no way in the world not forgotten late great but wow strive for accuracy in fact in that vein I was quoted I think some of this is just around people do not agree with the phrase or whatever and I don't care none of that matters at all if you are going to use quotation marks that means that is exactly to the letter what the person says I just said Pam wrote a whole book misquoted Mr. Fuller showcase blacks he has never said that the term is racial showcasing and that is an astronomically important difference don't have time to talk about that now it is in the archives but quote people accurately man words are so important 
they got it on uh, online. People posting, calling themselves, you know, they listen to the cows. Gus, the problem with black people is white people. Wrong. Putting it in quotes even to say that Gus says the problem with black people is white people. Wrong. I don't say that. Put it in quotes in the book club this week. Gus says the problem is people classified as white practicing racism wrong I don't say that I have said for 15 years the problem is white people it's way shorter than all that other nonsense that's what I in fact that's what stamped on every program we produce the in white and red letters literally like a stamp the problem is white people that direct quote Robert Jensen's book and even timestamp that's program like four from the cows getting back on the air in 2009 February 2009 that's what I've said for years now if you don't agree with that no problem you don't want to say that no problem but don't do the the same thing with Fuller he said if you don't understand racism white supremacy everything else that you do understand will only confuse you people will go and change that to if you don't understand racism white supremacy almost everything else that you understand will confuse you Fuller's never said that And I've heard lots of other changes that are nowhere close to what he says. If you're going to put it in quotes, and that's the same thing Fuller said. Now, if you're going to put it in quotes, don't say, Fuller said, if you don't understand racism, white supremacy, almost everything else that you understand will confuse you. Just don't put it in quotes and say, Fuller said that. You can just say that. If you want to say, the problem with black people is white people. Just don't put that in quotes and say, I said, in fact, Don't even put it in quotes and say the problem is people classified as white practice racist. No, no, don't be. You can say that, but don't put it in quotes and say that Gus said that. That's not what I say. I'm being specific about that one. Strive for accuracy. If you're going to quote people, quote them correctly. This is a massive problem. Been here for 15 years. People get so reckless, and there's probably a lot of reasons that go into that, but man, if you're going to mention somebody else's name at the minute, just I'm paraphrasing. This is not a direct quote. You should go to them directly to hear what they have to say about it. If you're going to put the quotation marks down, you go back and grab that transcript. If you got to listen to that audio recording, rewind, do all of that. Be accurate. This is the same standard that I hold myself to. Don't be out here misquoting Gus T or any other victim of white supremacy. Non-white people get killed just for talking about racism, white supremacy. And I have caught so much grief. I've been told you I had what I view as cowardly conduct. Non-white people who hear that and it bothers them so much. Apparently didn't bother Robert Jensen. They don't call him up and I got to change that around. And why don't you shift that bothered them so much? They had to call Neely Fuller Jr. What do you think about Gus T saying the problem is white people again? If it bothers you, if you don't agree, if you don't think it's accurate, so what? Victims guaranteed qualified. But if you're going to quote me, say it correctly. The problem is white 
people, and I wouldn't say, I wouldn't even waste time to say, the problem is white people, and people classified as white practice racism, there is a lot of unnecessary redundancy there. White and racism means the same thing. Many people have a problem with that. Sorry, Dorothy Roberts just said this publicly in front of a room with a lot of white people the way that she said it was the only reason for these racial classifications is to practice white supremacy since white is at the top of those racial classifications that's got to be what it means anyway quote people correctly so important and that is such a widespread problem that benefits individuals who are deceptive you already got a lot of people misquoting anyway hey maybe I'm lying maybe I'm just being inaccurate maybe someone misquoted you Lord works in mysterious ways let's see the albinism this are things that are not necessarily related to the audio segments that we heard oh man we didn't have albino affairs in the audio segments but wow there was an amazing talk I've said you should check go online you can whip your phone out tablet whatever just check if you are near when I say near any place where you regularly hang out in this area you know for whatever reason for work it's close to your residence whatever if you visit family members in that area whatever any sort of uh, local library community college college university that's in your area check their event calendar and if it's a college university and especially if it's a larger institution they may may have two or three event calendars because they'll have so many things going on during the school year in particular check and especially now for black history month they'll have things that are related to racism pretty much everything is related to racism directly indirectly but they will have lots of activities and things going on where you can go books speakers learn quite a bit uh, UW, University of Washington here in Seattle, they had uh, Ikpanwosa Aero, non-white female, born in Nigeria with albinism. She came here this week to talk. It's in the archives. You can list, uh, check it out. I thought it was fascinating. All of the reasons that we've had albino affairs on the program for years. I felt bad for a second because she talked about make sure you don't call people albinos. I was like, oh! And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Most of the time we do albino affairs. We're talking about animals. So, okay. She wasn't talking about animals either. So keeping it albino affairs. But uh, she had, so it was just fascinating through and through. Um, she, and, and they, it was such a uh, resource event. So she did about an hour and a half talk. She did about 30 minutes or so, approximately of question answer. And then they had food. And then they had an informal kind of sit and chat, meet and greet type of a thing. So I recorded the first portion. Uh, they had pizza with cheese, so I did not go get pizza. But Miss Arrow ended up basically sitting directly next to me. So she said during the course of her talk that a black female told her that she got white privilege as an albino, that she could get her issues taken before the UN and get attention from powerful white people there. Uh, and so I was able to ask her questions to get more details about this once the event concluded. 
but it was so informal in quotes. And then I was so kind of, I guess, taken aback because she came and she sat right next to basically where I was sitting at. So it was really easy to just start chatting. I was like, oh, wait a minute, get the back to recording. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I didn't get the second portion, which was equally fascinating, even more so because uh, I got to ask lots of questions then. And during the second portion, she said, I took, she was born in Nigeria. She said that she moved to Canada when she was 15. She was called a white nigger by an Indian. I said, wow, that is like, wow. Now, I also was thinking that, dang, I guess I had asked her already, could you pass as a white person? I'd asked and she had said no. And she, you know, gave the explanations and all that. She has pictures and stuff online. You can, you know, check, see what she looks like. Um, but dang, if you are being called a nigger in any capacity, yeah, I guess you cannot be accepted as a white person. Anyway, uh, she had a number of, uh, man, it's, it was wacky. Uh, just hearing all of that and to hear racism, pop up in that like I didn't even know the way she explained it and the way that the United Nations defines racial discrimination Miss Arrow said that individuals who are albinos or suffer from albinism can be victims of racial discrimination because it's about their skin color and such when they're mistreated anyway it fascinating white nigger fascinating fascinating uh, and she even talked about how they were they that words that started with global north those in the global north were resistant to including albinism issues within the i guess disability organization of the united nations like wow why would that be after she gave all the details like miss arrow said she was legally blind and i guess i guess she could sense maybe that's how i'm processing it that i was befuddled confused um I don't want to say suspicious, like, let me see your papers. <laughs> but I was, because I mean, she was walking around and operating the uh, projector, the computer and everything. She had her slides and everything put together. So it's like, really? You're legally blind? Like, for real? For real? <laughs> like that type of thing. I guess, I don't know, maybe she, she could sense, because she did conclude her, the formal part of the talk, which is recorded, so you can hear this. And she said, just uh, the gentleman who asked about blind, like, I do have on contacts. When I take my contacts out, I am legally blind. I was like, oh, okay, okay. That did kind of put it together from me. Anyway, uh, like, when she gave all the details of albinism, like, man, it is rough like it does not sound like it would be fun like the skin cancer component and you know all the rest of it um but she said that the those in the global north were resistant to bringing albinism into the disability field i said wow hmm. so i said well were the people in the global north was this a lot of white people and she gave her response and she talked this is in the recording and then I had to ask her, I said, so were these mostly white people? She said, yes. Yeah. Mm, 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 mm. Does not get any better than that. This is just for white people and our wheelchairs and whatever else we say we got. Uh, fibromyalgia and whatever else that we're suffering with. This is for us. Come here with our comfort dogs and we are disabled and suffering. Not you get on, get on out of here, white nigger. Get on. <laughs> I'm legally blind. That's what I kept saying. Like, I'm legally blind. I'm legally blind. What do you mean I'm not just Get out of here, man. <sighs> anyway, it was, like I said, fascinating. Uh, you can check it out. I, I even, I do think, because she talked about how 
she named movies that you if you want to check out on albinism within all of that some of them on netflix she also talked about the intrigue of all uh, people with albinism being attacked on the continent of africa and why that's so intriguing drama uh such a drama i guess an appealing drama uh probably for people classified as white and i said the specter of white presenting individuals being attacked by negro brutes and african brutes melanated African brutes oh and with machetes you got the phallic oh oh. I could see yes that would be (laughs) something that would get a lot of attention from individuals classified as white absolutely anyway that's in the archives uh, Ikpanwosa Arrow Albany it was lots of white people there even that I said that too that they had this presentation for Negro History Month they didn't have this in January March, any other time <laughs> they had this in February. Anyway, uh, the decriminalization of drugs and such in Oregon, I think Irie had talked about she was coming up to Portland to visit. And I was like, oh my God, it's awful. You do not want to go to Portland. Like, run, run. <laughs> and um, she was talking about some of the crazy things that she observed and all while she was there. But both Portland and Seattle have astronomical problems with drugs, opioids, just drugs in general. Uh, both Oregon and Washington State have had legal cannabis for over a decade uh, at this point and then you heard Portland with their decriminalization I believe of all drugs and that was being talked about almost a decade ago countrywide that this should be done decriminalize everything and just have dispensaries that give out heroin and cocaine and whatever else you know people want to do and that way you can regulate it and all that people talked about that I remember that that, that was a part of the uh, cannabis should be recreational cannabis should be legalized that was a part of it okay now even where they would pick to do such a thing in a state that legally barred negras and still has a very low population of black people this will be one of our test spots to see what happens when you decriminalize I have seen nothing that suggests this is the way to go matter of fact that fellow that crashed the plane uh, Lauren had been fine. I think he went to Oregon. My memory might be bad, you know, on that. I wasn't thinking about it, but I think he went to Oregon. Got his old mushrooms. That's a part of it. We got to get the mushrooms, and I'm grieving. I'm a sad white man, and get my shrooms on. Grew up with Mario Brothers, and then he get on the plane, and I'm, I'm feeling frisky. I open up the door, and they whoa, come on, come on, please. No, what is the sobriety would be best. I do not think just having everybody go out on the curb and corner and shoot up in the park and shoot God knows what and God knows what is it. No, I do not think any of that is constructive under a system of white supremacy racism. Another one, super simple. Sobriety would be best. We'll see what happens in Portland. Uh, man Mason Herring I do not ever want to hear about Bill Cosby in a non-constructive and the quaaludes and he slipped a Mickey in their drink and I don't want to hear nothing about that Mike Swango 007 that's what I was talking about and then now Mason Herring 
He didn't slip the Quaalude in her drink at the bar. He didn't slip a Mickey in the drink. He got his pregnant wife. They already got two children. And I'm slipping anti-abortion here. I got an old smoothie. I don't mind that chalky taste. That'll be great for you. Slip that on in. Slip that on in. Yeah, yeah. Get two of them. Get two of them. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> and he's an attorney. Mike Swango, man. Mike Swango. I can't have nothing. What I tell you, they got those smart, the smart thermos. It's got a lock on it. So it has, it'll just, you scan your fingerprint and it unlocks and then you lock it back. Like, man, you need that even once you get married. Like, back up, back up, back up. No, I don't know no smoothie. I don't need no water. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Nope. Nope. Thank you. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Like, <laughs> what? And then, and then they said he got 180 days. What? <clears throat> Me get. White people do not care about children. Remember, I used to be timid. Bob says, feel like I'm saying something. I don't say people classified as white. No, 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 no. White people do not care about children and the reason that I say it so wide and ignorant simple like that is because this is not just Mason Herring doesn't care about children and uh, I've been messing around I got my side piece and you know you're not doing it right no more and you know I'm stepping out a little I don't I don't want no more children I don't want no alimony, alimony payments and you know I'm tired of diapers and all I'm good on all that okay uh killing a child you sneak i mean isn't that how is that 180 days you give negroes like eric garner that you say are out selling lucy's you give them more time than that so i mean 180 days that's why i say it the way that i do this is way beyond just yeah one off here and there and jennifer crumbly no 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 this is an institutional cultural wide representation of white people's values children are not high on the list self-evident self-evident let's see <laughs> Alan Fillion my man doing the swatting you hear me say calling got the voice muffler and Satan is carrying out a bombing in five minutes you ain't got nothing else to do, Brother Allen. You got Wi-Fi, PlayStation 5, new iPhone. You ain't got nothing. They ain't got no cute girls. Go holler at, at school. You ain't got nothing else to do. College applications, video games. You don't have nothing else to do. What does it mean to be white? I'm going to threaten some bombings. What else I'm going to do? Dylan, Rebel, Ethan Crumb. What else I'm gonna do? Let's see. Oh man, the segment in Colorado. Colorado. <laughs> eat what I just say. Reb, Dill. Colorado has come up so much uh, in the time since we've been studying about Columbine. So the first time around in Colorado, Melissa Hall. 
black female victim of white supremacy and a volunteer. I can't stress that enough. She's not even on the clock, right? As they say, I'm not earning two cent, five cent, even the prison wages. They give you about a quarter per license plate or what have you. I'm not even getting that. I'm volunteering to keep children safe. Oh, white woman, Ashley comes in and all the... (laughs) I don't care about none of these. Hey, what I just say? What I just say? White people do not care about children. What Ashley said? I don't care about none of these children but my child. Oh, okay. That's what Gus been telling us. Okay, okay. You gonna come and get into all of? That's one of those two where I'm trying to imagine. So if that had been Leroy and you come and get huffy and a shouting, cursing, all that on school property. Okay, so the school, they say we're going to ban her from, from campus and all that. And we're going to take it through legal process. Now, as I'm hearing all this, and they're talking about a so-called hate bias crime, Aya Gruber, beginning of two thousand about this time, Negro History Month, 2022, she was a guest on the program. Now, she said, disproportionately, it's not the Ashleys, it's Melissa Hall, me, non-white people who end up disproportionately being charged not the victims charged as being perpetrators of so-called hate crimes i'm thinking of that in the background so okay we're gonna move through all this so okay ashley we're gonna charge you we might be looking at the new hate crime statute here and all that we're gonna be looking at misdemeanors and threatening that was another one i said really this seems like it should be way stiffer penalties than all of this I think it would have been if this had been myself she threatened to run over a person and all that talked about that I ran that nigra over that's when I thought of too we talked about that if it's something where you're out in the road and there's a situation get out of the road white people make racist jokes about running over and killing black people for fun literally James Craig Anderson, if you need to put a name on it, like literally white people joke and have fun killing, running over black people and then literally go to McDonald's for milkshakes and chicken nuggets to brag. I ran that nigger over. Do not be in the night. I said that too about recording because they said Miss Hall, she pulled out her phone to record and everything to get the evidence. You can do that. But I said consistently what I've seen is. When victims, we pull out that phone to record. <laughs> I'm a race soldier, Matt. <laughs> you gonna, I'm going to give you something or what they escalate. Now I got to run you over. Now I got to cut you. Now I got to knock you upside the head or throw my coffee on you or kick the phone out. And like, you going to record? <laughs> record this then, nigga. That's what I've seen consistently. So you got to be careful if you're going to record. Maintain your distance. Keep your eyes up. Stay alert race soldiers they're dangerous now they get on through the court proceedings and all that say okay miss hall says i'm gonna go to court i don't want to see her uh to in greater confinement and away from her children and i don't i don't support all this uh punitive justice victims guaranteed qualified miss hall is a victim here she can take whatever stance that she wants to i was greatly bothered by many things about this segment the uh, the music this was Colorado Public Radio the music just many things about the segment bothered me if Miss Hall the black female who was shouted at terrorized if 
She had said, I want her prosecuted to the maximum extent of the law. Would they have followed up on this segment? I've heard segments like this before. Didn't they play that ad nauseum? I've seen this over and over where a black person gets terrorized even when Dylan Roof, white replacement theory, great replacement theory, go shoot up the church and all that. You all are raping us and all the rest of it. I've seen that. I forgive you. I've seen that over and over and over. Would they have done this if she had not taken that ride? If she said, nope, prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, as if in the name of Isaiah Shoals, prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. That's not what we got. In fact, we got this white woman, Ashley, and I just couldn't see her name, and then they don't have the transcript uh, for Colorado Public Radio. At least I didn't see it. But Ashley, the white woman, race soldier, we get her apologizing to her daughter way before we find what they say the metaphor like pulling teeth. She apologized. You know, honey, I'm so sorry. I yelled at that nigga woman, and I did not even know that that nigga woman's daughter, her nigga daughter, was your pal at school. Well, you shouldn't have been friends with that nigga woman anyway, but it looks like I messed that up. So my fault. Mia culpa. I uh, shouldn't have done that. I'm going to try and do a better job in the future. Maybe you can find some white girls to be friends with, but my bad. We got to listen way down the road. To get, okay, finally. Oh, Negro, I'm sorry. Fine. There's many things that bothered me about all of it, the way it was reported, everything. Um, she and she threatened to run over her. Could have sent the car and all of that. Like I, many aspects of it, I just did not understand. Um, so we get to the court. Miss Hall goes. Uh, you know, I don't want to see her in prison. All that. So she's supposed to write a apology. My bad. She's supposed to take her diversity, inclusion, equity, and then she's supposed to pay a few measly bucks in court fines. She doesn't even want to write the letter. Gets on social media, which I found interesting. That reminded me of like Jennifer Hart for people with the book club. Like I'm going to do some old social media performance art here and get on Instagram. And I've taken this class and I have learned about the white fragility. And we talked about the great Jane Elliott. And I realized that I'm an ignorant white woman and I've been stressed and my husband, you know, it's been difficult for us white people. We've been having a hard time, but I understand that I did wrong and cost my daughter a friend and I've apologized profusely to my daughter and just want to let you know that my conduct was really out of order. And my friends will tell you, I don't even talk like that. I got tons of black friends and even my white friends will tell you that I don't behave like that. I was just really stressed and wish you and the rest of the good colored folks of Colorado uh, Ubuntu. <laughs> what? <laughs> what you could have just got on uh my bad i would have taken that over the whole you know we got to go through this spiel and my husband has been arrested and all what you got to bait like so we got a whole family of that that's why i said it was so much that bothered me about that report if this had been a black family and you're out behaving like some hooligan on school grounds in front of other white children and your husband is some no-count thug convict in pr- <sighs> under the jail, man. You got a whole f- nest. Matter of fact, where is social services at, man? Isn't that a social services call? That sounds like this. You, if you got children, 
they got to be in danger. What the hell, man? Drug use and all the rest of it. What the hell, man? Might be <clears throat> white people do not care about children. But where's social services at, man? You don't have to go. Your dad is in prison. Mom should be in prison too. WTH, man. WTH. Anyway, uh, so she doesn't want to write the letter. They come back to court. She's late. That's another one. <laughs> if that had been Leroy, I'm threatening white people on school grounds, trying to run over people. Move, cracker. We get the court date. I'm not going to do the apology. I'm I'm recalcitrant. I'm going to wait. I got to write three, four different drafts of the apology letters before I finally say, I'm sorry. We come back to court to finally resolve all this, and I'm late. They sitting around twiddling their thumbs, playing on their phone and everything. Where's this nigger at? Is Leroy going to come? Is Leroy coming? Is Leroy coming? My my bad, y'all. My bad. I I, I ran. Tank got a little low. They didn't have Petro. You know, it's expensive out here in Boulder. And then, and then it just got worse as it went. Then Ashley said, you know, what did I learn from diversity? Hmm. You know, I don't really, uh, I don't really talk like that. I learned about the white fragility and barriers that the people of color have had. You know, my friends will tell you I don't say nigga, I don't talk like that. They were stunned. It's Ashley. I told my online friends, Ashley, you don't, I know. And she started cackling. <laughs> I know. <laughs> What's funny about all that? Why is that funny? I didn't find any of that funny. They said, do you have white privilege? Well, 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 I don't know. I, I think I got pretty privilege because I can just go and look and bat my eyelashes and, <laughs> and I just find some dumb guy. That's white supremacy racism. You don't have to be attractive. You don't have to be intelligent. Sounds like you'd just be a no-count hoodlum. And hey, people will think I'm attractive. I show up late to court and you're not found in contempt. We don't rule against you. We're going to reject this plea and give you some jail time, show you to respect the court's time. No. Matter of fact, they didn't even describe her as attractive. They said when she showed up to court, looked like she had just slopped her hair up all quick. I was waiting to see. They're going to say that she had a mop of slick blonde curls or whatever. They didn't say that. They just said she looked like she had put her hair together quickly and was stressed and disheveled. Like, that doesn't sound like an old attractive blonde white woman. That's not Barbie. Anyway, um, I... BGQ to Miss Hall. She can take whatever position she wants, but I mean, dang. White people escape. That's how Columbine happened. They never, white people never punish to the fullest. That's for Negras. That's for Isaiah Shoals. We supposed to get punished to the fullest extent of the Reb Dill. They were convicted felons. They didn't get punished to the fullest extent of the law either, and we see how well that worked out also in Colorado anyway let's see 
Oh, and they got my word bigoted uh, in there as well. And she got more chances and more chances and more chances. <sighs> Let's see. Um, and they said all this took all of the time. I think they said it took two years for this whole matter to be resolved. <laughs> Miss Hall is a volunteer, or at least she was when all this started. Two years. This trifling, tacky white woman doesn't even want to apologize, tried to run you over all of the court time alone. This is a black mother. You have nothing else. And then, and then, and then, Ashley late, so we got to sit in court and wait and wait and wait all that time and energy wasted for what for what that's that's one reason right there white people should never get the benefit of the doubt it is not about forgiveness it's not about I don't want to be punitive no take their time let her go sit in greater confinement all this time that you wasted we're going to start taking some of your time back you go sit in greater confinement you go do the visits with your child in the visitation room and explain to them why are you here again for all this oh because you're a race soldier I see you're recalcitrant that's another one too where they get on all that white people feel guilty and they feel bad same way the white people felt bad about stuffing Kashin Gelzer's remains in the freezer to chill for two years same way they felt bad about that Ashley felt real bad about terrorizing Miss Hall on school grounds in front of other children she felt real bad about that for the whole two years Yeah, yeah. Sound like Sue Klebo, really. That's what it reminded me of. Like, recount the wife. He got all the excuses, and oh, it's just been so terrible. Sounding exactly like Sue Klebo. Rats are in the house, and oh, what are we going to do? The raccoons have taken over the backyard. Anyway, um, the. Yeah, I said, uh, talked about that. I'll leave that. I did have, I think, two other people subsequent to last week when I first played the segment. Uh, about Mr. Gelzer's remains being found in the freezer, taped freezer after two years. I had a couple of people, and I do mean a couple of people, said that they saw this report, but wow, after all of that with Dahmer and everything else, and in New York City, this didn't happen in like Idaho, Wyoming, South Dakota, someplace out in the boondocks that you have. This is New York City, Brooklyn, BK. How is this not what the man not race class genre and the dilemmas of black manhood chilling I don't think they would have done that either if it had been a white person they would have just announced the report and it wouldn't have been no you know they had him in their freezer chilling for two years I don't think they would have said it that way uh, number again, 605-313-5164, the code 564-943-POUND, press star 61 
if you would like to participate. Folks who dialed in, you have commentary to share. Line should be open. Proceed. Hello. May I be heard? Oh, I'm sorry. You can go ahead, ma'am. Okay, thank you. Good afternoon. Well, it's my afternoon. I'm sorry. Um, good evening, everybody, and hi, Gus. Uh, to the report about the library in New Orleans, you know, don't be confused about that. Um, I have a family friend that frequents the main library, and she tells me often about how she's mistreated by library staff there. So this is just more that racial showcase and confusion. And I do believe I'm quoting Mr. Fuller right. Um, the thing you just talked about with the lady and the, you know, the court case and the apology and everything, you know, she found a way to become a victim. Again, she was she's not sorry, obviously. Um, well, at least from my perspective, she's not sorry. And when she started talking about um, how bad it is for white men and everything, I was like, hmm. So not only do you not feel sorry, but somehow you, I don't know, she just sounded real, real, like that lady, she reminded me of that lady from January 6th, like that was talking about she was down for, you know, violence and everything that was, to me, perceivably started by white men, you know, that day. And she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm right with you. And she just gave me that same frequency. I could be wrong. Um, I showed up to court late um, last year. I had a um, motion to reconsider something just by a couple minutes. And I had told the judge at a hearing before that, um, you know, I had a disability, disabled veteran or whatever. It's hard for me to... um, get up sometimes very early in the morning because of them. And he was like, okay. And then I went to my motion to reconsider. A few minutes late, it was dismissed. Um, and I told him, I said, hey, remember I told you I'm a disabled veteran? He's like, yeah, that's cool. It's still dismissed. So if I, I'm speculating if I would have showed up late to a criminal hearing, I probably would have been found guilty. Or any of us would have probably been found guilty or um, at least some type of sanction, like, you know, what do you call it, uh, contempt. contempt. Uh, yeah, I don't think it would have happened that way. I don't see judges waiting around for people like that. Um, maybe the maybe the state attorneys or whatever, the prosecuting attorneys uh, sometimes are if the person's there, pro, not pro se, with an attorney and that attorney's late, they'll give them a little bit of time. But if you're, I don't know, if you're just the, the person being prosecuted and you're late, nah. I don't see that happen like that at all. Where I'm at, um, I want to say that I spoke with a trustworthy person. Um, I listened to the replay from, I think, last Saturday. And we were talking about books, and I'm a I'm a come clean, and say yeah, I was one of the people guilty as charged that um, 
recommended the book Legacy. I do want to say that I saw it real quick, and I was like, hmm, this seems interesting because I know you like books about um, medical apartheid and racism, and I read the synopsis real quick, and so I was like, hmm, let me let me recommend it. Maybe it's something he might want to read, not necessarily for the counter-racist aspects, but just to get another perspective. For me, that's what I was thinking, like, I wonder how her perspective lines up with Harriet A. Washington or, you know, somebody like that, um, how different or how similar. But it was more like a passing thing. But this trusted person that I speak to very often um, said something that I will envelop as my personal code to not recommend a book I have not read. And so I hope that is constructive for me going forward and everyone else. Um, that's really all I wanted to say. You know, I'm just super tired, really, going through a lot from that situation with the um, nonprofit. Um, white people do not care about children. I made several reports about in issues we had that were not, they were ignored summarily, and um, it escalated, and now it's getting attention because white people's money have been played with, and that's about it. So if there's anything further to report on that that I feel like sharing to help someone else or think can help someone else, I will. But no, they don't care about kids, but they care about their dollar bills, and I'll mute my line. Is that the Reading Comprehension Program? that you're talking about with the money? Yep. Oh. Well. <sighs> Hopefully that will not be too stressful. I guess, yes, she has been reporting about, even reporting about it not being serious. Uh, that reading thing is serious. I think even some of that was tied to if we maybe can increase reading comprehension that might decrease violence and some of the other problems that black people, black children and young people, especially in the South Louisiana area are experiencing. I thought that was supposed to be the whole, let's be serious about this. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> very common uh, when it comes to replacing white supremacy with justice. Uh, any hoodles, uh, the, <laughs> They got the crying in court. Maybe that's what to do. If you're gonna if you're gonna be late for court, just start crying. Get the weeping and wailing and see if that will Oh man, Leroy, here, have a Kleenex. There you go. Dry dry your eyes. That we're gonna work it out. Come on, come on, come on. I don't uh anyway, uh much obliged, uh, Irie. I think she was talking about Rachel Powell, the white woman from January 6th, who said, you know, I'm right there. She's in greater confinement herself. Uh, I've just been there a few days, but I think that's who she was talking about, one of the terrorists uh, from January 6th who also left her white children behind to go and loot and pillage. Uh, Lauren should be with us as well. Um, yes, I am. Miss Irie, I thought the same thing. When I heard that white woman actually um, talking, she was uh, talking about her daughter and uh, bringing this up as a reason why she shouldn't be punished so much. And 
that lady on January the 6th, yesterday her name is Rachel Powell, I didn't remember, she said the same thing. You know, she has children, she's baking pies, taking care of children. She doesn't have time to be doing the stuff that happened on January the 6th. I'm paraphrasing, but, well, she did. I mean, there was videos and stuff, and also the, the Navy SEAL. Um, he brought up his offspring as a reason he shouldn't be punished. Um, but she's trying to run over people at the school. He's threatening the anti-sexual people at what they call Savage Ranch. I'm not sure if those people were children or not. I just thought that was super interesting. And I thought, yeah, same thing. Um, as far as the segments go, right at the beginning, there was a part where they were talking. Well, it wasn't the very beginning. They were they were talking about the Black History Month and the uh, permission slips. Somebody said, and it sounded like a black person. I don't know. Um, we cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater. Metaphor, I don't even know what that had to do with anything or how it was relevant. It didn't make sense to me at all. Um, the white woman, Ashley, who tried to run, um, I think her name was, Mich no, Melissa. Melissa over with her car. Um, she didn't sound like she regret what she did at all. And then in the talking afterwards, she was talking about the pretty privilege and they're trying to make examples of the white men and they've been getting longer jail sentences and they would have gotten uh, some years ago. Being white in this country is getting pretty hard. Um, I also noticed they kept saying bias, bias, bias over and over, but not really saying racism. And Melissa, I just was confused by the things she was saying. She said, I felt like it was bigger than me and, you know, like she had to, I don't know, follow through, do the whole thing. But if that's the case, then why didn't you want this white woman to be punished? You know, she didn't want her to go to jail after she tried to run her over, which I think that was attempted murder, not a harassment or reckless endangerment, whatever they charged her with. I think if a, a non-white black person would have done that to a white person, it would have been attempted murder all day long. Um let me see, Denver, they were talking about the public schools discriminating against students because they are white, and it was called the Mountain State Legal Foundation, and they said race was being used to decide who can participate in advanced math class, and they said there were lower requirements for black students. Um, I think in this situation, that actually kind of makes sense because white people typically have more money to spend on education, and they have a better uh, opportunity to to learn more than non-white children do in a system of white supremacy. Um, so they're not, uh, a lot of the times non-white students are not going to be able to do as well as white students on these uh, standardized tests and whatnot or, or whatever you're doing. But at the same time, it kind of made me think of that NFL thing where they said they had lower scores, lower cognitive scores of white people. Um, but anyway, I, I thought that was actually correct. Um, well, I didn't think it was incorrect. I, I don't know. Um, the, the the white man in the Navy uniform threatening the white gay people at Savage Ranch. Well, I didn't say they were white gay people. I just, I guess I just assumed. I'm, I'm actually not certain about that. They kept calling it extremism, though. They used that term um, several times, and they um, they said policy on extremist behavior was written broadly and you know that Henson and his thousands of followers that people scared and then they said he didn't violate the Pentagon's extremism rules I don't, I don't know exactly what extremism is 
Um, let me see. I also noticed they, they, um, the people, when they were talking about the border convoys, and they said um, extremism experts deeply alarmed by language being used talking about immigrants. And the white people in the border convoys, they were calling themselves God's army. That is fascinating. Um, and I also noted that they were, you know, calling it an invasion or uh, invasion. Um, and they brought up that great replacement theory, which I think is just another way to say white genetic annihilation. Um, Kansas City um, lady says she has disbelief that in 2024, police are calling a black woman an animal and saying we'll treat you like one. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she probably is not a woman. She got that uh, beaten and was treated like the animal because maybe they think of her not as a woman. And I also noticed they said any time an officer is assaulted or injured, they do an investigation. But the officers were the ones assaulting people. So, uh, yeah. And I I actually looked up um, when Gus started talking about um, Kashin Yelzer. I first article I found a couple. This is the the title of the headline: Couple kept chopped up body of New York City drug dealer in the fridge for four months, as neighbors say everybody in the building knew it. Then the article starts. It says a missing. Brooklyn drug dealer whose dismembered body was stashed in a flatbush, flatbush fridge for four months after a fight over drugs was a registered sex offender who had a string of child molestation busts on his rap sheet, law enforcement sources told the Post. Caution Gelser, 39, who's been on the state offender registry since he was convicted of molesting a 12-year-old boy in 2005, was reportedly killed inside the fourth floor apartment in September, chopped up and stored in plastic bags inside one in his freezer. Now, there's two paragraphs. It goes on several more paragraphs. They just started talking about what a diabolical Negro he is. And um, But they don't even say the white people's names who allegedly killed him until almost, like, towards the end of the article. And they even have, they have a picture of him, like, <laughs> like he's the one who committed the crime um, versus a picture of the white people. Also, um, in the apartments, it was like everyone uh, were saying they saw him go in and never come out, and people were talking about it. Man, why didn't they call the police and report that somebody went in the apartment and never came out? Also, how hard were they watching that person's apartment? Like, I am not watching any of my neighbor's residences um, closely enough to say someone went in their house and never came out. Like, well, what did you do? Just watch it for an hour, two hours, 24 hours after the person went in? That's just super interesting to me. Um, and that's, that's all I have for now. Thank you for allowing me to speak. <clears throat> How cold is it what they did to Kashin Gelzer? Ice cold! That's been standard. That's been pretty much every article, every report. Gus T. Renegade, worthless Negro from Virginia. I don't just say that just to be saying it, although it's for sure true, but I got that. When they lynched Zachariah Walker 
in Coatesville, Pennsylvania, way up north, 20th century. That's what they put in the newspaper. Now, we all know this shouldn't happen, and it is terrible that we all went out and chopped up just like, just like Kashin Gelza. We chopped him up and hacked him up and cut off his penis and all that. And, you know, it was terrible what we did to Zachariah Walker. But we can all agree he was a worthless Negro from Virginia. Amen. 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 All right. So we'll move forward. (laughs) I mean, if that's this guy is such a beast and a model, maybe he should have been because Dexter, hey, that's what I do. I'm practicing justice. I'm getting rid of no count. He's a drug dealer. He's raping children. Hey, monsters and monstrosities. That should not be happening. It sounds like he was convicted for that. Like he said, anyway, uh, that's every article that I've seen. He's a drug peddler. Even they'll say in the article, they'll say, uh, drug peddler, drug dealer, killed, dismembered, hacked up. <laughs> like it'll be, that'll be the lead. Drug dealing, drug peddling, crack snorting, negro, molested children and robbed old ladies found hacked up in the freezer. He's been on the sex offender list for 15 years. <laughs> like, Woo! That is about the impression that you are left with. No one who will be missed. At a, which is why I said they can make jokes like that. Like, he's been in the freezer chilling. For two and everybody knew it. Nobody who will be missed. This should have maybe this. Should, oh, OK. So the metaphor for Black History Month, when they said don't throw the baby out with the bathwater metaphors, maybe what they meant since we got to have these permission slips and all that and letting all these children opt out in Florida of Black History Month if they if they don't want to do this uh, maybe what he meant is uh, we can't you know we understand that we have to vet people and all the rest of it but you know in that process we can't totally eliminate the Black History Month programs we can't get rid of the program a la the baby uh, just as we try and make sure that we are presenting parents with choices and making sure they're informed about what's happening. Does that, maybe that's how he meant it? Maybe. Those metaphors can be tricky, open to interpretation and open to confusion. Anyway, uh, I was even thinking that, like, did they, because I, I know for its so-called Black History Month, it's not like we had a speaker every day. They might have one speaker, maybe, for the whole month. So does that mean like if they, the history book talks about Dr. King or something? <laughs> like, and, and my parents didn't sign the, but yeah, I'm going to go out the hallway. <laughs> like, does that with that? Wacky, man, wacky. That was Dr. Marvin Dunn, incidentally. That was Dr. Marvin Dunn who was speaking in that segment, he's been a guest on the cows many times over to talk about the history of white supremacy, racism in the state of Florida. And more specifically, he was with us at the end of 2022. He and his son were almost ran over by a white race soldier. They went to court. He was convicted of a hate crime and uh, everything, but that recent Florida history uh, exactly that of running over niggers is why that's why I said like do not stand out in the road especially once it's escalated once they're upset and yelling and all that eh, they will gladly run you down and brag about it let's see uh, other folks who dialed in with a hand up line should be open proceed oh that wait a minute greetings everyone 
Much obliged, retired firefighter. I just wanted to say it before I forgot. That in situation, uh, Deshaun Pons, I hope I'm saying her name correctly, the young lady who was pummeled and they uh, said, you act like an animal, we'll treat you like an animal. That's it, I don't like, they beat a lot of that out. Just play what they said. We're adults, I mean, these are, hey, these are supposed to be upstanding citizens. The enforcement officer, play what they said, man. Give us the, they have all of the uh, advisories and everything that they can do before they play the footage. It's going to be graphic, but, you know, we think it's important that citizens are informed about what happened. Fine. Let's hear it. That said, uh, that happened, and it was like three huge officers on one tiny black person. One tiny black female. Three huge white men hopping on one tiny black female. Anyway, um, and called her an animal and all the rest of it. Um, That happened at a bar watching the AFC championship game. Kansas City Chiefs at the Super Bowl tomorrow. You can see the Kansas City Chiefs uh, paraphernalia in the background in the video. Uh, Miss Ponds, victim of white, I mean, hey, no other term victim of white supremacy this is not I'm deliberately using the metaphor this is not Monday Monday morning quarterbacking at all this is just another tragic illustration of why I've said for years one of the worst combinations in the universe white people alcohol I think all this you know there was some sort of dispute uh, with the bartender or what have you, one of the worst combinations. I would not want to be out public. That sort of thing is so many opportunities for things to go wrong. There's so many people, and it's, it's everything about that environment is ripe for these types of things to happen. Where there's a conflict, enforcement officers have to be called. Just violence. It is very, very common. Uh, I really would for non-white people and particularly things like that a big event where it's going to be a lot of people they were right there in the Kansas City area so it's going to be a lot of people it didn't look like it was just two or three people uh, at this bar it looked like it was a lot that means it's going to be a lot of people under the influence anything they could have put uh, somebody else's you know items on her tab and so she's like what is this and blah 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 and, uh, man my view you got to watch that game tomorrow NCAA March Madness and all that is you know days away really we got more important things really priorities if you gotta watch all of that I would not be at some environment where it's a lot of alcohol and or a lot of people classified as white now I mean truthful I wouldn't want to be at an environment with a whole lot of non-white people drunk retired firefighter get the elbow and all the rest of it after you get a few Hennessy's come on nah but if you gotta watch Stay at your residence. You can have a few people over, watch the game, hoot and holler, all that, and be safe. Those types of environments, man, don't be surprised. Enforcement officers have to be called. That is not a surprise. Victim, Miss uh, Deshaun Ponds. Victim, total, nothing but a victim, but those types of things happen. System of white supremacy racism, especially in places with a lot of what they call spirits. 
Thank you for your patience, uh, retired firefighter in Florida. Just didn't want to make sure I get in my PSA since there'll be a lot of drinking uh, over the next 24 hours. Greetings, everyone. Yes, uh, better be careful. Uh, I would get very upset uh, if the if that white woman who they keep talking about would be upset about his her team losing uh, tomorrow. But uh, anyway, uh, my report for uh, for this uh, this week, uh, starting off with uh, well, I, I basically I heard about the. Uh, the uh, order that uh, the governor of the state of Florida uh, would be bringing into public schools in the state of Florida about the permission permission uh, to uh, uh, for your child to uh, be uh, a participant of uh, Negro History Month. Uh, I think I know the uh, the person who reportedly uh, made the comment. Uh, because I've, I've seen clips of it on the news. Uh, he is a uh, quote-unquote school board member, but I, I think I know who who, who uh, uh, Miss Lauren was talking about. Uh, my report uh, earlier this week, uh, and this is this is, in my opinion, solely symbolic. Uh, at a Miami Heat game of all places, uh, they uh, they meaning whoever I don't know who put this on, uh, but uh, they uh, had uh, 162 black males uh, stand on the basketball court floor wearing black t-shirts uh, with 162 on the on the t-shirt to identify. Back in I think 1895, uh, in order for the city of Miami to be in a corporate city, they didn't have enough white males <laughs> to make that happen according to white rules. So what they did, they got uh, 162 of their quote-unquote black male laborers <laughs> uh, to uh, join in to sign the. Uh, after David to make uh, the city of Miami a uh, a corporate city, and then they continued on mistreating them based on color. Uh, but that was done uh, early this week. Uh, uh, some people said that they were quote unquote proud of, of that particular gesture, but uh, eh, kind of like I'm not kind of like not with it. Uh, too tough. But anyway, uh, it happened. Uh, Secondly, uh, DCS program started its first day with the young fellas. Uh, we had about uh, 22 to 25 uh, youngsters, eight range, age ranging from eight years old to uh, 16 years. Uh, we just did our normal things that we normally do in the beginning of the program. Uh, and... Uh, my part, uh, specifically during the day, other than participating in the other uh, the other uh, uh, tactics, were was uh, I showed a short clip that we normally do traditionally of uh, Emmett Lewis Till uh, and 
after they saw the clip. It was about maybe 15 minutes. You know, their eyes on the prize uh, clip that that uh, that uh, featured uh, him and his uh, terroristic death. Uh, and we had them to write a paragraph on what they saw. And we talked about it for about 30, 40 minutes in itself. Uh, was kind of disappointed with the older fellas, the teenagers. The, the, the little ones, they're very enthusiastic. <laughs> they're very enthusiastic, you know, at, at, uh, with just about everything. This is, and this is routine, actually, as far as the start of the programs. And uh, but there were several of the uh, teenagers that didn't write anything. Uh, a lot of it is because, as I think, at that particular age, uh, they have uh, a parent. Most cases, is one parent, the mother, that I guess is tired of them hanging out, doing nothing on Saturdays, something like that. And they're not they're not necessarily volunteers. <laughs> to come to the DCS program. Uh, but eventually over time, through our strategies of working with them, uh, they become more and more involved. Uh, and uh, they actually go to the point to where they become more of a leadership example with the younger fellows. And uh, we have, we have every session, we have, we have, we have uh, some of the guys who, were in the program years ago that come that come come out to see how the program is going. Uh they assist on it. Uh so, you know, that's how things start off from the beginning and uh just decided to make their report. Last but not least, uh I've normally watched, you know, other than, you know, newspapers and whatnot, I do watch the news. Uh and I noticed uh there was a lot of articles about criminal activity of white people who speak Spanish on each other. And I haven't processed that fully yet on why, I mean, it was like a trail of it that that's taking place. I mean, some of the, some of the, some very heinous crimes like stabbing their mother to death and getting on the phone and talking to the police, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, uh, many, a lot of different other assorted uh, heinous crimes that that took place by white people who speak Spanish on each other. And I'm still, you know, working with uh, trying to get a a final diagnosis of uh, why is that is happening and why it's being put on the news uh, 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 highlighted. But anyway, that's my report for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. Uh, I think I did see footage, uh, <clears throat> some of the news news footage of the ceremony, but I just didn't. Rec- I, I guess I think I saw it like midway through, so I didn't quite grasp what it was about. The 162 for the Miami Heat recognizing the Negro slaves. Well, I guess they weren't. Well, whatever. It's 1895, so if you want to be technical about it, they weren't slaves, but. Uh, Anyway, uh, using the Negras to get enough people to incorporate the area. I saw the T-shirts and everything, but I didn't didn't get into my brain computer. That I do not think in any universe that would be cause for 
Are we black proud? No, not at all. <laughs> like uh, they they were still using niggers as sandbags, literally. That's in N.D.B. Connolly's book, in like Miami history at that time period, and even years subsequently, when hurricanes would come through. Up, oh, we've run out of sandbags. Pile a few niggers. Get up here, Leroy. Get up here. We got expensive white property to save and uh, stealing Negro laborers, as mentioned, 162, and probably many, many others for generations when the hurricane is done. Get that shovel, Negra. Clean up, Negra. Get that broom, Negra. We got tourist season. That's the side. I, I mean, it's white terrorism. That's not really anything. I'm going to stick my chest out and write on. Thank you. Thank you. This is a proud moment to come on uh let's see the we got the program back that is great dcs program awesome mr clark other folks involved uh not wanting their child to just be sitting around doing non-constructive things i'm gonna watch 48 hours of lead up to the super bowl and brain damage and play video games and come on come on do something constructive use your brain computer do some thinking do some writing do some talking now see even the pattern that he noted he said where the young fellas they're a little bit more enthusiastic dare I say curious whereas the older black man eh, what time is the Super Bowl tomorrow who you got you got San Francisco Kansas City hmm. Patrick Mahomes what you think what you think that's one thing. That's not an accident. That is the system of white supremacy racism. That's public schools at their finest. That is what is going to happen. I'm not going to be curious about that. No, I don't want to hear about no flipping Emmett Till and man, home man, when the game get this Super Bowl on, go watch man. That's what we want. I'm not interested in using my brain company. They totally extinguish all of that. So it can be some work, but it's so uh, important. Get that brain computer on. There are more important things than white ball games uh, to be mindful about. I was even thinking like, I know he had said before uh, retired firefighter about maybe getting them to do a little bit more reading. Cause that's so important. In addition to reading about uh, even climate change, uh, and how that's impacting racism in the area, rising sea levels for folks in South Florida. Dr. Marvin Dunn, I was thinking, man, he's in North Florida near Rosewood. It would be awesome if he could do like a, a Zoom or conference session with the fellas, maybe like 30 minutes or I don't know, hour, whatever, whatever their attention could hold. But I mean, yeah, he says they watch movies, 30 minutes or an hour to just talk about some of the history of what I just said, them using Negras as sandbags and some of the other content, uh, both he and uh, NDB Connolly, that is two black male authors, Florida scholars uh, who both have written uh, books. NDB Connolly, one of the best books I've ever read on white supremacy. And it is all about white supremacy locally in Florida and why in even South Florida specifically, why it looks the way that it does. He was a guest on the program in 2015, uh, but he'd be another one. Like if he could do like a zoom session, 30 minutes or something, and just kind of detail some of the history that's in his book, give them a chance to ask a question or two. Like that would be awesome just to know a little bit more about 
for and learning from black historian, black male and black writer, black male writers, no less. Like that would be something to think about if they could work it out. They're interested if, you know, Mr. Clark, all that. But that would be at least at minimum, you all could get their book, read a little bit, what have you. But that's two Florida black or two black males who've written great work about the Sunshine State. Yeah, what what we do, Gus, the, the next the next session, what we do is we split up the the uh, the fellows, the the older ones. They, we put them in a group, and with and separate them from the younger ones. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, I think last last week, is that uh, we have a we have a uh, a teacher uh, that's that's in the in the group of of quote unquote. Uh, mentors and uh he would he would take on the young ones that have trouble reading it, it, in this group it's the young ones that has trouble trouble with with reading and uh well even some of the older ones and he would take them and and mr clark is going to u- utilize at least about an hour uh to uh bettering their their reading abilities you know during that time uh, and uh, that would I'm gonna try to get that make that continue continue through the the entire uh, course that we go through with with uh, this this particular group and all of the other future groups. Uh, you know, as far as improving their reading capabilities. Love, <clears throat> excuse me, Lord, Mo reading, Mo reading, love it, <clears throat> love it, love it, love it, love it. That also, usual suspects, why we have such trouble with the reading. No surprise. Uh, let's see. Other folks, if we missed totally, star six one. If you have commentary, do not wait until the last moment. Uh, folks, we missed totally. Proceed. Do we miss anybody who had a hand up who uh, had commentary? Wasn't sure. Let's see. No, we had last week seemed like there was some sort of issue. uh, Black female caller in Georgia with her line. So I'll double check to see if anything is happening there. Anywho, uh, we were scheduled to have a program on Monday, I looked at the count. I just said we had, uh, or I was able to get in the archives, the event they had at the University of Washington with uh, Ikpanwosa Aero. She visited on Wednesday. I was able to attend and and share. Fascinating dialogue, in my opinion. Uh, But prior to COVID, I had been looking at like the event schedules and seeing when authors come. What do we just talk about with retired firefighter reading more important than watching television? Uh, Dr. Vanessa Grubbs. I saw her here. I went to uh, the event and that was like far north Lake Forest Park. In fact, I went to two events this week about racism, white supremacy, and they had that on the map specifically uh, Lake Forest Park, which is way far, far north in Seattle, north from downtown. Uh, even north from University of Washington in the U District area. Uh, but they had on the map that, oh man, we do not 
of our Negros up here. And they had all the little dots there for racially restricted. They were calling it racially restricted covenants. It's like, oh man, so close. Racially restricted region. Like, ah, no Negroes. And if it is like a servant or something of uh, that nature. But uh, I went up to Lake Forest Park uh, to the bookstore to see Dr. Vanessa Grubbs. And then uh, I went to the bookstore in Capitol Hill. Uh, that was where they had the uh, transgender non-white female who was adopted by a white parent. Uh, she was talking about her book, uh, which is about racism and her experience in the school system here. Um, I went and saw her live and then she came and was a guest on the program as well. Um, I had not really looked because they had stopped where they either had switched to Zoom or they had slowed down with those types of events, especially at the bookstores uh, during COVID. So I hadn't really got back in the swing of looking, but I looked and was like, oh man, they're having, uh, I think it's Ilion Wu. I think that's how you say her name, non-white female. She wrote a book about a non-white, or excuse me, about a slave, sorry, black male slave, black female slave. They escape where the female is pale enough to pretend to be a feeble white man. And the nigger's just going to be her slave. Duh. You don't have to pretend. You can just <laughs> be a nigger slave and shut up. Uh, but she, I'm going to pretend to be a white man. And that's how they're going to escape. And this non-white Ilyan Wu, she wrote a book about that. This was one of the many books that was on the list. New York Times, there are 50 non-fiction books of 2023 this was one and I was like oh dang I even I have that book that's reading more important than watching television there's so many books I said almost I think pretty much every book that they had on that list of 50 they were all about racism I said like this pretty much all of them were directly about racism different time periods some of them were biographies and all that but racism white supremacy but she's coming to Seattle to talk about the book on Monday it's like dang I've got to go and this will be the second time <laughs> that that's happened this year like dang where we had a program already scheduled I was ready to roll boom and oh and even this is so crazy because even that and I had to tell the author like that is crazy. We were supposed to be talking about white masculinity. And in, in fact, in fact, white men's sexual desire for black males. And what that says about white masculinity and white manhood. White men are struggling. That's what we were supposed to be talking about. And I said, dang, isn't that related? You got a female, a black female pretending to be a white man? Wacky. I haven't read the book, but I am super, that's why I was intrigued. Like, I've read, like, is that what this is about? Like, what the heck? I never even heard of this. Crazy. I'll be able to confirm. I'll go listen on Monday. Check it out. Maybe I can even share. But yes, I am super excited to go and what is it going to be? Why even who is going to be there? I do that too. try to pay attention to see who's in the audience for these events. Mostly it's white people. 
That was the case for Dr. Vanessa Grubb's event. She is a lovely black female author with natural hair who wrote a great book about racism. And it was still overwhelmingly white people in the audience. And this was not on a college campus. So anywho, but take advantage. Look on the calendars. Look what's happening. Local bookstores. I didn't even include that. If you have local bookstores, a lot of times they'll have authors too. And Negro History Month they might have Dr. Vanessa Grubbs might come hang out. Ilyan Wu, her book just came out recently, so she's doing her book tour. If you're interested, she might be coming through your area uh, sometime soon, even Women's History Month next month. She's a female author, so check it out or others. Uh, and as I said, if you attend, especially underlined boldface print, if you have offspring, non-white, you got a little black girl, little black boy, take your children and ask a question your children it's like mandatory if it's a white person and they're there oh yeah you came to sit on the front row with your child ask a question you don't have to be jumping up and down and yelling and cursing and all of that but I mean hey you study white supremacy racism you studied Dr. Welsing, you studied Neely Fuller Jr., whomever else you think has constructive info on white supremacy racism. You sit and listen to someone classified as white talk about racism for 30 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes. You should have at least one question. What's your definition of racism? What can we do to solve this problem? Are you a racist? I mean, could have you had sex with a non? It should be at least. Fuller has questions in the book, man. It should be at least one question. Then you've heard them talk. Based on what they've said, you should have at least one question. Your children need to see that. Very important for the development of their brain computer, dare I say, their black self respect to see their parent, mother, or father attempted questioning a white person about racism the problem on the planet anyway <clears throat> did we miss anyone anyone with a question hand commentary they needed to make sure they get in yes sir Gus, I have I have a thought that I've been having now for almost a week and a half uh the on the situation that took place in the quote unquote Middle East, where three uh, quote unquote U.S. soldiers were were killed in action, all three of them were black, and what was very unusual to me anyway, two of them were black females, and no one addressed it in a racial way at all, to my knowledge. Uh, do you recall the, uh, the, the that particular news and and what would be your thoughts on that? I am aware <clears throat> of the so three soldiers who were recently killed, classified as black, uh, two of them black females, one black male. Uh, in terms of it being racial, uh, do you think they were? Like targeted specifically because they're classified as black, or 
No, I just I just thought it was very unusual because I've I've never seen that particular uh uh faction of of soldiers getting killed in 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 action that especially with two of them being black females. Uh I would assume that that they I was assuming that they were on a military base, not necessarily on something something that will be identified as front lines. And uh the weapon actually from my understanding was a drone. Uh I'm just imagining it flew over wherever they were stationed at and and uh whatever weaponry that was that's utilized from a drone it was executed and they happened to have been the victims of it. But I thought it was pretty unusual because they keep they kept showing the, the photos of all three of them. And I always thought it was unusual that that first of all it was it, the the victims were black and out of the three of them, two of them were females. I, I just thought, you know, what somebody else may have thought about it if they if they saw or heard about it. That's all. I sure did. I just want to make sure we put their names uh, on the record as well. Sergeant William Jerome Rivers of Carlton, Georgia. Specialist Kenny Kennedy, Leighton Sanders of Waycross, Georgia. And Specialist Brianna Alexandria Moffitt of Savannah, Georgia. Um, <clears throat> one black male, two black females. I did see that. I've not, in the report that I'm looking at now, that is not <clears throat> highlighted that these were three people classified as black and yeah, I've not really seen any reports that call attention uh, to that detail of the report. Not like you said, not that they were attacked. And I I think I'd seen that as well, that this was a so-called drone attack, but yeah, I've not seen any reports that have highlighted that or anyone, you know, talking about like, dang, three black, three black victims all at the same time. I've not really seen that sort of thing before either. Uh, but like you said, I, since it's, I would, I didn't process that as racism, white supremacy, like they were attacked specifically because they were black. That's why I hadn't really said anything about it before, but yeah, I definitely was aware of that. That also did stand out to me that that was three people classified as black. I wasn't sure, wasn't sure what was going to happen as a result. Like, is this, is this going to be used as a rallying point moving forward? Like, I wasn't really sure what was going to be the result of, of these killings. Um, Yeah. Any any other any other folks have commentary on this? I would say quickly the the president had been uh, talking about had had been talking about retaliation. What I what I think would be considered to be retaliation, and they have been carrying it out. You know that sort of thing, but of course they didn't. They was mentioning it, mentioning it from the standpoint well, we're doing this because of, of because of their death or, or something like that. But it 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 was some sort of talk about action as as a reaction to their death. But anyway, I'll shut up and let somebody else talk on it. Anybody else have thought before we wrap up on this one? Or I saw it in the New York Times. I was also surprised that three people got killed. All three of them were black. And what I noticed when I looked at the pictures, I could only tell the sex of one of them, um, the black male. The the two people that are female, 
I couldn't tell what their sex was. Also, I don't know if this is true or not, but someone um, told me one of them was uh, homosexual. Um, and when I looked in the comments part, white people had something to say about their, you know, racial classification and um, the anti-sexuality and um, uh, the relationship to Biden. So it's pretty interesting. Whoa. <laughs> that is new to me. Whoa. <laughs> okay. I'm looking at a different news site. It has different pictures of the victims. Uh, the two females, uh, they look pretty feminine. <laughs> what, uh, uh, Kennedy Layden Sanders uh, and Brianna Alexandria Moffat. Now, I do note to uh, Lauren's point, many of the photos, they're just what they call headshots. So you can't really see the full body. It's just kind of a zoom in can be kind of and plus they have on their military garb so that is not too feminine so (laughs) that can kind of make it difficult if you're just kind of getting a zoom in on someone's face and not everything if they got their hair tied up and everything else but getting to see a collage of photos um yeah they both look pretty feminine uh in the photos that they have here but anywho uh they definitely had on their military um outfits when i saw them and I, i couldn't tell that's the common one. That's that's like the first set of photos that I saw. I thought that as well until uh, it was I'm on Fox 5 Atlanta where they were all in Georgia. So they probably got access to the family and all that to get lots of photos. Looks like they went back to high school and all that. And yeah, they look pretty feminine. <laughs> Safe for both of them. At least one of at least one of them I remember was wearing a beret. Yeah. Yeah, they do have their military and uniforms and all that, for sure. They have lots of photos of that, too. And uh, it looks like one of them was in the band, so they have the same thing, uniforms. And they have lots of those with their – but they do have some photos of them just kicking it where they – hair is out and (laughs) they look kind of girly in a constructive way. Be feminine, Fuller says. Uh, Anywho. Uh, we'll keep an eye on all of this, uh, see how it proceeds. I have seen a number of news reports just as I was checking where the word dignity pops up as well and bringing them back for a dig- dignified ceremony and dignified response to all of this. And yeah, yeah, dignified slaves. Anyway, uh, so we'll look forward Monday, checking it out with the author Ilyan Wu hanging out in Seattle uh, to discuss her wacky book nonfiction a black female slave who is probably the offspring of rape escapes by pretending to be a white man that's kind of a WTF right and absconding with a nigra who is her husband but he's going to pretend to be a nigra slave which is you just stay in character and keep quiet wacky uh, we will be back. Uh, two sessions left in the book club, which has been Negro trauma, drama in overdrive, but we are almost done. Much obliged. Super Bowl again is tomorrow. It has been said for years now. I don't know if it's fact, but they've said for years that there is a spike in domestic violence on Super Bowl Sunday. Alcohol and people losing all their money and all that people really losing a lot of money now because they got way more accessible gambling now so 
first time, last time. Really, that's another one. Sobriety would be best. I already said, like, hey, it's brain damage and all that. Don't let your children watch all of this. It's very addictive and just sets them up to be addicted for their whole life. When if they're classified as non-white, we have way larger priorities. Replace white supremacy with justice, not white people's ball games. All of that said, first time, last time. If you got to get together in Shingding, I already told you, I would not be at no... We're going to get together and tailgate and celebrate and all that and waste five hours of a Sunday with individuals classified as white and a keg or a fifth or whatever. Like, you have got to be joking. Even if it's all non-white people. Come on. Come on. We got work on Monday, other things to do. Like, come on. You can watch the game if you got to do all that. You can be constructive. You don't have to eat a whole lot of nonsense food, gain 50 pounds. Like, come on, man. In the middle, just add all, ate all that bad food, Christmas and Thanksgiving and everything else. Now to pile on some more bad food and then wolf down all the chocolate this week at work for so-called Valentine's. They're like, come on, come on. Let's be more intelligent. We should, we have way more problems. Let's make intelligent choices. Sobriety would be best. Let's eat well. Use constructive use of time and energy. They wasted Melissa Hall's time two years going to court. White woman tried to run her over and kill her at school where she is a volunteer. We can waste your time that way. Waste your time watching Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Look at that white woman. Hmm. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. I forgot a listener wrote in. I'll make sure I get it in before we wrap up. Having recently read. Make sure I didn't get. Oh, okay. Having recently read. Harry Dunn standing my ground and with the upcoming presidential election, I want to share information about the arrest of Carlos Ayala of Salisbury, Maryland, a fellow resident of Maryland's Eastern shore. I may be mistaken, but I don't believe Ayala has been discussed on the program, but please pardon if you have talked about him. Ayala was arrested in January by the FBI for participating in the assault on the Capitol. He is charged with one felony and three misdemeanors. Ayala is accused knowingly of entering a restricted building, impeding the orderly conduct of government business, disorderly conduct in a Capitol building, and obstructing federal law enforcement authorities during civil disorder. He can be seen that day wearing an M3 pink mask and a hooded sweatshirt, which is covered in an American flag print. Uh, according to Maryland Matters, video footage taken from inside the Capitol building shows a rioter positioned to the right side of the Senate wing door, the same area where 
Ayala was present jabbing a flag and flagpole at a Capitol Police officer. The officer then grabbed the flagpole and pulled the flag into the building to prevent the rioter from knocking the officer's shield away or injuring other officers. Minutes later, body-worn camera footage shows that Ayala paced in front of officers who had assembled on the Upper West Terrace to clear rioters from the area. The charging document contends Ayala walked the length of the police line, gestured at officers, and said, Join us! Ayala, who I believe is a white Hispanic, was appointed to Maryland uh, State Board of Elections by Governor West Moore upon recommendation of the Maryland Republican Party. Uh, just pause. I do not use that term, and I really would appreciate if you all would not make up any other racial classifications and such and dial in. I never use that term, so-called white Hispanic. I point out that they have that on the census, but is this person classified as white? Is this person for, uh, classified as non-white? You could, I think retired firefighters, just it. We got a white person who speaks Spanish. I think that's the exact way he's phrased it. We got a Spanish-speaking white person, white person who speaks Spanish. If that's what it is, rock and roll, but not what, like, eh? Is this person classified as white? Do you think it's a racist? Continuing, uh, he also served on Wacomico County Police Accountability Board. He has since resigned from both boards. Ayala's mother married the former president of Purdue Farms, and Ayala served as director of international operations, general manager of Purdue China, and vice president international for all of Purdue. Purdue Farms is ranked as the seventh largest chicken company in the world, according to an article in Yahoo Finance. Now, I was thinking, dang, I wonder how many non-white immigrant children they employed to clean chicken. Anyway, Ayala is yet another wealthy and powerful white person. Now we've got white, see? Now we got white. Got it. Ayala is no, uh, yet another wealthy and powerful white person who played an active, violent role in the insurrection, the politics of white violence. I can't even really tell. They got pictures of him, but he's got, he's so covered up, I couldn't even really... <laughs> get like if you demanded that I pick him out of a lineup I couldn't based on what the footage that they got from the January 6th because he got like a hoodie on and a mask over his face and all the rest of it so I have no idea I'd have to get a different photo to even see you know give you a guess at his racial classification or anything else anywho much obliged for uh, dialing in cow signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed I'm a victim no brother problem. you're a victim I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>